1: Welcome back to Composite Two-Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I am your one-star host, Chris 10K Trevino, and as always, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Hurricane Martinez. Now, I will admit, Hurricane Martinez is a little bit on the mend. He's battling some sickness. We didn't think we were going to have a show today, but – we decided to pull through. I drove through some hail to get here. Gerard is huddled up in his garage. I imagine him bundled up like he's ice fishing outside. He's got a thermos full of coffee. He's battling the elements. Gerard, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm battling a
2: record low for the two-star composite podcast. I think right now it's about 45 degrees as a high today out where I live. So. um it's probably not that cold in the garage, but uh, luckily I'm away from the wind because it's like really windy out there uh, right now. So mm-hmm. um, that's good. You know, I'm, I'm bundled up. Like you said, I've got a thermos. I've got some uh, some Cinnabon coffee and uh, I'm ready to go, man, because we missed last week. And, uh, you know, we take uh, no weeks off, but we do take weeks off.
1: Sometimes. We literally just took a week off.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we just like to say that, just like kids say that, you know, no weeks off, no days off. And it's like, yeah, but you, you do.
1: I find it funny just thinking back, because we're getting close to like 50 episodes of this podcast. And when I first started, I thought maybe we would do two a month. And then it quickly, the popularity forced us to do essentially four a month, one every week. And we've taken some breaks off and we always hate to announce it. It's like, do you want to post this time that we're not going this week? Or do you want me to do it? They're going to eat us alive. And, you know, people.
2: Chris says, it's always better coming from you, Gerard. And I say, but the thread will be more entertaining if it's posted from you, Chris.
1: Yeah, the, the reaction is always different based off who does it. I believe you posted last time about me not being able to do it because I was under the weather. And then I think I did it this time. And I was like, please don't. Please don't be mad at me. Please don't uh, throw a fit. And for some people, I did actually feel back. They're like, oh, I use these for my two-hour drive every day. And then I I legitimately felt bad. But it it is nice to have the the popularity of this show be able to, I wouldn't say ruin uh, our listeners' weeks when we don't do an episode. But it certainly puts a damper on the end of their week. So we apologize for the breaks that we do take. But sometimes we need them. But we're back. And we'll have an episode for this this week. And it's not going to be the longest episode. Gerard already jinxed us by saying that before we started recording. But not a ton to talk about. But uh, trust me, things are picking up once again for this show with the dead period being over. A bunch of visitors are going to be on campus over the next several months with the spring. We have spring football. We're going to get Gerard's uh, thoughts on all that stuff. We have a spring game coming up. As I said, many visitors will be on campus. Seven-on-seven events. I'm going to my first seven-on-seven event of 2023. So there's going to be a lot going on in shows moving forward. This might be our smallest show of spring. Or uh, uh, what's the word for shortest show? That's what I meant. I was looking for the opposite of longest, and I couldn't come up with it, Gerard. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I would. I wasn't sure where you're going with that either. Shortest. Shortest. The opposite of longest. Short (laughs) and this podcast are not words that go together. But for this episode, it might be. But before we get into our show, which, you know, just a quick runner, we got some target lists to talk about. We have a quote-unquote April 8th golden hour. Uh, That's what we're jokingly calling it as it continues to build up. Some big-time prospects all coming in in early April.
2: I'm, I'm yeah. jokingly calling it the Holy Hour. I think that's great. It's going to be on Easter weekend.
1: <laughs> well, you can explain that more as we get into April 8th. The Holy Hour, the the 2023 version of the Golden Hour, the spring version, if you will. We have some NFL Combine stuff. That's The Combine is starting up this week. We'll get some... Uh, Hurricane Thoughts, we have a little bit of Crystal Ball Stock Market. We haven't really done one of those in a while. We have a good chunk of new scholarship offers out, and then we'll do some listener questions and get out of here, Gerard. How does that sound?
2: Sounds fantastic.
1: And before we jump into our cold open, as always, I just have to do a quick shout-out to the official sponsor of the Composite Two-Star Recruits. You know her. You love her. That's Meredith schlosser the number one real estate agent in Los Angeles, over $600 million in sales and more than 205 star Zillow reviews. You can learn more about Meredith and her team at www.meredithschlosser.com. That is S-C-H-L-O-S-S-E-R. And you can check out her business Instagram at Meredith Real Estate. So, Thank you again to Meredith Schlosser and her team for being the official sponsor of the Composite Two Star Recruits. Gerard, We're going to start the cold open today looking ahead to the 2025 class and some of the 2024 because you just updated your target list for both classes. That's what you were doing when we were being lazy and not doing a show last week. You were working on some target lists.
2: What's this we, White man?
1: (laughs) We were being lazy, not doing a show. And I said you were doing a target list.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we were – While I was working on the target list and you were being sick, um, we decided to jump into the future, man. And uh, jumping into the future is very interesting nowadays when you're talking about recruiting because there's so much unknown when it comes to trying to project a class and trying to project what the strategy is going to be for any university. We have the transfer portal, which has obviously changed the landscape of recruiting Completely. And then you have NIL, which is still in flux and there are regulations and there are aspects of that that we have to figure out how it's going to affect recruiting both at the high school level and the retention of the rosters for college football teams going forward. So when you think about 2025, I think normally it's always this sort of two years ahead. It's hard to kind of wrap your head around you know, needs and sort of positional battles. Within the wow, okay, that's the wind just blowing something. Is that what it
1: was? Sound like someone dropped a tray of cookies in the back. <laughs> yeah, room. I
2: don't know what the heck it, it was. Something that just banged against the garage door. Um, I don't know what that was, but anyways, uh, yeah, it's one of those things where you're 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 already looking kind of far in advance. But I think right here, right now, w- when you cover recruiting, it seems like it's ten years from now. I mean, it's normally sort of okay you take things with a grain of salt. Maybe you get a couple of commitments uh, from someone that is uh, in a class. It's a couple years ahead and you're like, okay, they're not going to sign for another two years. Let's uh, look at this rationally and, and not get too excited. Or there's a decommitment from a recruit that's uh, from a class. It's two years ahead of the, the current recruiting cycle that you're in. Now it's just like, I don't know. What is it? What is recruiting going to look like in 2025? You know, is USC going to recruit at the high school level the way they are now? Which it seems like the high school recruiting class is already being recruited sort of around potential transfers. You're leaving a certain amount of headroom in the high school class because, you know, you want to bring in transfers. And so. Getting into the target list and breaking down the target list and trying to you know translate and analyze some of the specific players that are maybe important to USC as targets, guys they've already offered scholarships to, uh, positional strengths and weaknesses within the class that we see at this point. Obviously, it's very early and there's a lot of targets that can still be found and can still develop over the next couple of years. But nevertheless, with that thought, keeping it back of your head that it might not really mean anything. I, I mean, at right at this point in time, it's present date, it seems like most of the programs that are at the very top of college football, we're talking about Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, they are taking the philosophical approach that they want to build their programs through the high school ranks. And they are only using the transfer porthole to supplement specific needs if there's a very very good player they feel can be a day one starter they go after that player but alabama who lost 17 transfers out of the first portal window only brought in two transfers for this spring and they brought in 28 high school football players. so the argument of projection and how you're gambling a lot more trying to bring in high school players versus going after a potential immediate impact player at the college level and knowing that that college player is ready-made. You know, they play college ball. You have film of them playing college football. You know academically they're more than likely squared away because they had to stay eligible at a college to play college football. Those things versus bringing in a high school football player that from day one has to buy into the culture and is perhaps a little easier to mold from that standpoint. It's an interesting philosophical battle, and where USC ends up when we get to 2025 remains unknown because obviously with USC they wanted to kind of turn over the roster to some extent, and they get 20-plus, I think, transfers last cycle, and in this cycle through the first portal they got 11 transfers coming in. And that's more than any of the programs in the top 10. So including Washington, which also had a coaching change in 2022, uh, no other program had more than nine. TCU uh, had the most. And, and I think that they had eight in the prior year. So USC at 11 is still the most. And there's potential that they bring in more. And there's potential that some of those other programs could bring in more. But it is interesting to see at the top of the top 25 programs like Alabama and Georgia really going through the process of adding additions to their roster through the high school ranks and not necessarily completely buying in. And I I think what it comes down to is what is your strategy is your strategy to bring in high school football players, guys that you evaluate. And if they don't work out, then you shake them out of the program. They shake loose. If it's a five-star guy that just doesn't, doesn't fit, whether it's because of injuries or because you just misevaluated. I mean, for one thing, looking at Alabama, when you've got Nick Saban there and you've got a very well established staff, they have to take some L's on some of those evaluations. You've got 17 guys leaving the football program. And I think some of those guys they probably didn't want had to leave the football program. But I think a majority of them, they're like, you know what? Okay, <laughs> that's fine. We're, we're good. We're just going after some high school football players. And listen, if this batch doesn't work out, we'll shake those guys loose. And knowing that you have the transfer portal as a safety net of sorts. Uh, Or do you say, you know what? We're going to cut back on the amount of high school football players we're going to bring in. We're not going to project. We're not going to reach on anybody that we just like athletically, but maybe we haven't seen enough in person. And we're going to go after a guy that's already played college football. And You know, you're going to see maybe less high school football players, good high school football players going to those, you know, big five type major programs uh, and sort of falling and trickling down to the mid majors and mid level programs uh, like an Oregon State or a Texas Tech, etc. And so it's just going to be interesting by the time we get to 2025, we'll probably have a better idea of what the approach is going to be. From the major programs
1: wouldn't ideally usc be in that position that alabama and the georgias are that they would only take five transfers a year and stack the high school ranks
2: you assume that's how it's going to be that that would be their aim but considering the 2023 class And thus far, having only one commitment in the 2024 class, it does make you hesitate a little bit. I think that it's very tempting for a coaching staff to depend on the portal and to really want to just truncate the recruiting process and go into the portal and fill those needs from the portal. UCLA has basically done that. UCLA, with Chip Kelly and that coaching staff, is far too established to want to have huge turnover in their roster every year. And it looks to me, judging by the lack of scholarship offers they even have out to high school football players the last couple of cycles, that they really want to basically recruit out of the portal. Now, the thing about that is the risk the gamble is you never really quite know what the pool of talent in the portal is going to be.
1: Right, you don't know if you'll get what you need. Like USC, prime example, after spring, they need more defensive tackles. And I mean, there are a couple out there, but all the good ones have been scooped up for the most part. So you're hoping that at least two veteran impact starter level guys are seeking a new home after spring camp. So you have to, to... to really bank on that to, to happen. And if it doesn't, I mean, that's kind of the situation that happened last year. USC didn't get that second interior guy that they, they coveted to help out with the depth. They didn't, they didn't have that. So if you're, you're, if you don't get that, you don't get the guys you think are going to go in the portal or, you know, schools are able to maintain who there are whispers are out rumors about they're able to keep those guys in the fold. you you Shit out of luck. Exactly. Yes.
2: And that's very true. And so that's the gamble. The gamble isn't necessarily the evaluation. And certainly from a recruiting standpoint, I think it's much easier to recruit out of the porthole in terms of you're dealing with the more mature player. You're talking about at most a couple of weeks of recruiting. And I think that's also very attractive to coaching staff that just don't really like to recruit. High school football player. You're recruiting him you know, three years out and trying to develop that relationship and literally texting and DMing those recruits and having some type of communication either with them directly or their champions, uh, whether that be a trainer or a coach or a parent or somebody, for that long, it's a grinding process. And when you compare that to going after Marshawn Lloyd, <laughs> who was in the portal for like a month, And that's his recruitment was probably, you know, less than uh, really a, a, a week or so. And it's boom, boom, boom. And it happens. And it's like, okay wow, that that was really cool. You know, we just got a guy that could come help our football program that we really like. And we didn't have to spend three years recruiting him. Now, the caveat there is in some instances, maybe a majority of instances, what we've seen is the very top end athletes that are in the transfer portal do you have relationships with coaching staffs from high school. I mean, where else are you going to get that relationship? Where else are you going to know who to contact, whether it be high school coaches, whether it be somebody that's close to that player, because you're not technically supposed to be able to communicate with them when they're at their colleges, right? That's uh, obviously a controversial subject right now, the tampering angle of things, but at face value, You're not going to have a relationship with those players unless you actually recruited them out of high school. So you still really do have to do the legwork when they're coming out of high school, just so you have phone numbers, you have names with faces and somebody says, hey, you know, I like this coach. When I was in high school, I didn't pick that school, but I did visit there and I liked it. And you know what? that's going to be an option for me. I'm going to think about
1: that. And in some instances, Austin Jones with Kiel McDonald, Kyle McDonald. And
2: and in some instances, we've seen guys that go immediately. They're in the portal for less than a day, less than 24 hours. And they've already made a pick. And you know, that's been made because of prior made relationships. So I think from that standpoint, you know, you can't just completely ignore the process at the high school level. Uh, But it is interesting because you're, have schools that I think are very tempted to really put everything on the portal because there's just a, a less that's required from it.
1: Yeah. It, it's definitely an interesting balance. And Lincoln Riley has stated, you know, they hope, I believe he said this at PAC 12 media day is first, his first session that the, the hope is they will become more or less reliant on the portal as they move forward and fill the class with more high school players than transfer portal players. And we've seen the, you know, the step back from that from this year to uh, from last year to this year, to this 2023 cycle, because they've had more time and they are still filling needs with the portal because there are still some gaping holes that they have to fill, you know, with linebacker and uh, offensive line. Obviously the, the coffers have been, Depleted, and they're they're using the transfer portal to bridge over some veterans now. While they have the you know this five man incoming class is going to take a little bit of time to get to the point where they can play and start and be in the rotation. But you know, I I assume they're going to have to do another big transfer round next year, specifically with the offensive line for that Big Ten season. Because I mean, while you're really excited about this class, you know. It's a lot for for uh, five guys who, you know, probably not going to play a ton this year to jump into Big Ten play, and your potentially your entire line is leaving next season. So, I'm assuming they're going to have to hit the portal hard once again for offensive linemen because recruiting was not up to par when it comes to offensive linemen. So that's your that's where you're seeing a lot of the USC's. Portal, portal hunting is, is for bridging the gap as they try to refill the roster. Uh, uh, just you know, call it like it
2: is, Chris, making up for the personnel management deficiencies
1: of the prior coaching yeah. staff. And then, and the, but then also getting little pieces that they, they just like, like a Dorian Singer. Did you need Dorian Singer? No, but you like him. It's a shiny little ring you can put on. You don't need him. But, yeah, that's just a little... Uh, Extra, extra cherry on top of the real needs that you you had and needed, like at linebacker and offensive line and defensive line as well. I have a feeling they're going to have to do the defensive line again, really hard for for next season as well for for Big Ten play.
2: Well, I do think you can rationalize just as you are with every cycle, and that's going to be the thing: is do you find yourself going, well, you know. We had these injuries, and we missed out on these guys, and these guys we didn't really think were going to transfer out, but now they have, and there's all these unforeseen departures. Ah, let's just go in the portal, you know? Let's not waste our time recruiting these kids coast to coast when we could just go into the portal and get a guy that we know is going to be ready-made and hits the ground running once we get him in for spring ball. And so that's going to be the temptation for coaching staffs How much did they want to do that and the success rate of that? Because we've obviously never seen a program win a national championship or really compete for a national championship doing that, having a sort of mercenary squad. UNC really was probably the closest there's ever been. Now, this sort of transfer portal approach to recruiting has not existed for very long either. So it is going to be interesting to see how quickly. USC can climb the ladder in terms of prestige in the present day, trying to use that particular strategy. But well, go ahead. I think it's working a little bit. It's definitely working. I mean, it, it, it at least it has gotten you uh, to this point, right? It, you're, you haven't won a championship yet. You didn't win a Pac-12 championship. You didn't win a national championship. You didn't get to the college football playoff and you didn't win your bowl game. So it got you to 11 wins. It turned around the season. It turned around the feel of the program. It obviously put some fans into this weird limbo where they're trying to figure out, are we still rebuilding or are we back? And you know that on this podcast, we're not talking about being back until USC has won championships, right? They're not talking about, oh, well, they won 11 games. That, that doesn't fly here. But nevertheless, filthy casuals are out there thinking, man, we won 11 games, man. The next stop is the national championship. It might not happen that quickly, but certainly in the in the, the 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 short term, and you're gonna probably see this with Colorado because Colorado has done very well and trying to you know get turnover on their roster and bring in a bunch of new guys and just improve the amount of talent and depth they have on the roster. But you know, this is like when you hire a new head coach. I always say there's a difference between the guy that's gonna get you from 0 and 12 and seven wins and seven wins to a national championship. And I specifically said that about Steve Sarkisian because I saw him being a guy that because he was a good recruiter and he was really relentless in that aspect, that he could get Washington from 0-12 to winning seven games. But that coach is not the same coach that necessarily gets you from being a sort of mediocre in-between program to actually being a national championship program. Sometimes that takes somebody that's just different, that has a different approach. and So right now USC is in that place where, okay, you've gone from being completely irrelevant and and almost bumbling in many ways to being a competent program that can win most of its games, that can beat inferior opponents, but you still have steps to take to get to the point where you look like you can be a national championship contender. There's still a ways to go for this program. And I think Lincoln Riley has admitted that and understands that. But the question is, to get there, you know, do you have to sway away from the transfer portal and focus more on developing your high school football talent? Or is it possible to still get a dozen guys, 15 guys out of the portal every year? because you're losing a bunch of guys, because either you're losing them because they get injured or you're losing them because you actually are trying to shake them loose from your roster, that remains to be seen.
1: Let's transition from the uh, philosophical point of transfer portal recruiting as you look to the future with 2025 to your actual 2025 target list. And we don't have to go super in-depth on them because it is 2025 and there's, you know, the names that are on this list right now are going to be very very different. At least the the top of them could or will be very very different in a year. But for now, I mean I the most look the most excuse me, the most interesting aspect for me is obviously there is no 2025 quarterback that has been offered. Lincoln Riley has not made the decision to offer a 2025 quarterback at this point. I'm sure there's still some evaluations, there's still some playing around because you know they are going after a big-time quarterback in 2026, and Julian Lewis, uh, arguably the number one prospect in that class. So do you go after a big-time guy in 2025? I, I assume you don't, especially when you have Dylan Raiola still on your board for 2024. So 2025 is going to be an interesting move. Uh, running backs, you have a lot of good options there, but the one that stands out is obviously Jordan Davidson who could be the number one running back in this class, which USC has offered at this point in Gideon Davis Davidson out of Lynchburg, Virginia. So there are some offers there. The wide receiver uh, offer list is really small, but again, you'll never be worried about USC recruiting wide receivers. Tight end is interesting to me just because Davon Mitchell did transfer from Texas all the way out to California. So there is a prime tight end weapon right there in your backyard at Los Al and Lo and behold, you know Malachi Nelson, Makai Lemon will be around on campus, obviously, for several years, and Davon Mitchell will be up there, and they're able to, you know, recruit him a little bit. You know, oh, you're Los Altos, we're Los Altos, so that is also eye catchy But the other thing is just offensive linemen. There's only one offensive lineman that is offered in the state of California, and that's a NorCal guy and Champ. Oh my goodness, I can't pronounce it. Talulele Lay, I-, I butchered that, but The number one guard in the country is uh, USC offered, I believe, in the winter. Uh, Yeah, just one offer out of California. You know, USC fans hope you get a little bit more West Coast love for for some of the guys on on this offensive line board. But, yeah, just one California offensive lineman uh, offered at this point. I believe that's pronounced champ Taolelea. Taolelea.
2: That's a good point. And we'll start there with offensive linemen because that's where you left off. And one being offered in California, 6'4", 325 pounds from San Jose, California, and a kid that even now looks very much like the two offensive linemen that USC signed in the 2023 class, and Alani Noah, who's 6'4", 225 pounds, and Amos Telelele, who's 6'5", 335 pounds. Big interior Offensive lineman, And that's something that, you know, USC, we talked about with the 2024 class and the offensive linemen that they signed in the 2023 class. USC is just flat out getting bigger up front. And with the running backs they have and the ability to run the ball with a, li- a little more power, a little more straight up mic blocking, I think is something that you want to see from USC because at the end of the day, big boy football and college football playoffs, you know, teams just, they figure you out. They know what you're going to do. There's not going to be a lot of misdirection. You're going to have third and twos, third and threes, where you just got to have your guy push the other guy off the line of scrimmage. And so seeing USC get a lot bigger and knowing in the 2024 class, you've got DeAndre Carter, you've got Brandon Baker, you've got some of those kids at St. John Bosco and modern day, who are just big boys. You know, they're all 300 pounds plus. Now, the interesting thing about it, when you look at the offensive line, and if you look at NFL draft statistics, the offensive tackles that are getting drafted in the first and second rounds are often guys that at this point are more like 335 than 325. They're guys that are playing multi-sports. They're volleyball players. They're baseball players. They're basketball players. And they're 6'4", 6'5", but they just don't have the weight. And they end up being seniors only around 250, 200, 60 pounds at most. So it is an interesting dynamic when you see a guy that's already offered a scholarship two years ahead and he's three twenty-five. So got to watch his weight. Obviously he's got to be able to, to to continue to play at a high level with that type of weight, but kind of trim down at the same time, um, you know, gaining good weight while losing bad weight is basically what you want to see from a sophomore right now in high school. But um, the offensive line, that's, Probably one of the trickiest positions to really be able to project that far ahead. I think it's much easier to project the quarterback position, which, as you noted, is a position right now where USC does not have a scholarship offer out. So we look at the 2024 class, and we know Dylan Raiola, the number one quarterback in the nation at Chandler, Arizona, was the first guy that USC went after. And they put all their eggs in that basket and they got burned. He ended up committing to Ohio State. He's decommitted from Ohio State since then. 6'2", 225 pounds. He's a big guy, but he is not the most mobile quarterback. He's not a dual threat quarterback. He's not a quarterback. You really want to run the ball by design. And these days, you have to sort of define your quarterback a little differently. Cause at one point, you know, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there was a real fine line, there was a real distinct line, I should say, between the dual threat quarterback and the pro quarterback. A lot of dual threat quarterbacks were just athletes playing quarterback. There were option athletes that could kind of throw the ball downfield. You basically had a big arm, but you weren't really savvy. Didn't necessarily mean you were super accurate. You were pretty raw as a quarterback, as a passer, but you were a very good athlete running the ball. And then you had your pro style quarterbacks, which were guys who were bigger, pretty immobile, but had the understanding of the quarterback position, the nuance of the quarterback position in the passing game. And now it's blurred much more. Now you've got a guy like Caleb Williams who has a great arm. It's very accurate. And he does a great job understanding his pocket awareness. And although he's incredibly athletic and he can beat you with his legs, he really holds the ball as much as he can to extend the play and get the ball downfield with his arm. So, you know, now when I look at a quarterback and I'm trying to differentiate okay, am I defining him as a dual threat quarterback or is he actually a pro quarterback? Really, the defining characteristic in that fine line for me is, is this a player that actually runs the ball by design? Is part of the offense that he plays in high school, does he occasionally actually run the football by design? So with the RPO, not just being a threat to run the ball, but actually running the ball and showing that he can be successful running the ball and he can gouge that defense, Uh, by running the ball on the read option. So, you know, the difference there, I think you've got a couple guys that stand out at the top of the 2025 class and Bryce Underwood from Bellevue, Michigan, who's 6'2", 200 pounds and uh, just, you know, very much in the mold of a Caleb Williams. You also have Michael Tolfason, who is nicknamed Butter because he's very smooth. He's about six foot. 175 pounds, not a big guy. Uh, but also a quarterback that can run the ball by design. He can scramble. Uh, He's very good at uh, eluding the pass rush, reestablishing the pocket, and getting the ball downfield. And and he's going to be, I think, the player to watch initially because he's certainly of the guys locally. And there's always an argument to be made. USC shouldn't be leaving California, let alone the West Coast, for a quarterback. I mean, there's just too many guys that end up in the NFL from California and the West Coast. Unless you're going after Caleb Williams or somebody who's a generational type of talent, you really don't need to go too far uh, away from Southern California to get a quarterback. So Toverson is definitely at the top of the list from that standpoint. I can see where USC wants to see arm strength. There's probably certain characteristics that they'd like to see in person. Uh, What of those characteristics they've seen from other guys? I mean, you talked a little bit about Lewis and being a 2026 quarterback. Certainly on film, uh, I mean, he stands out. You know, he's definitely one of those players that when you watch him extend plays and you watch the arm strength and you just see the package that he brings uh, in terms of down the field, that's all there. And he certainly has the ability uh, from the escape ability, the ability to elude pass rush, to extend plays, to really get rid of negative plays those are all there as well. Now, he's going to be visiting April 8th, which is that sort of holy hour that we talked about uh, before where USC is going to have a bunch of out of state visitors come in um, and they've made him a priority. So the question becomes, OK, is your strategy, which with most schools is bring in a quarterback every year like you want to bring in a quarterback every year and and there's no excuses about, well, we brought him a really good quarterback last year, so we're not going to get a quarterback. No, 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 I know mean, every top program you want to over recruit. You want to bring in a guy that's better than the last guy you brought in, and it's difficult. Sometimes it doesn't happen, but you gotta go and try to get John David Booty and Mark Sanchez, and then Matt Barkley, and just you know, just every single year you're trying to get a top recruit. So it will be interesting. I do think USC is going to go after a 2025 quarterback, but it is interesting that Julian Lewis in the 2020s this class is already clearly being made a priority for them. Now, you know, do they end up landing him? You know, that remains to be seen. He's going to be on campus for his third time uh, this spring, and I think that's obviously very big. And so that's going to be interesting to watch. And if they actually are able to get a commitment from him before they USC being commits to a quarterback in the 2025 class with an offer, you know, does that affect that? Somewhat, you know, certainly if you get a 2025 quarterback to commit and then you get Julian Lewis to commit, uh, that may play a little different. So we're going to see how that shakes out. That's going to be very interesting. And you talked about some of the other positions with running back and receiver, you know, with running back, going back to what we were talking about with offensive linemen. And I think that's very linked, you know, the type of running backs you're recruiting with the top of type of offensive linemen you have and the type of run game you want to have. Do you want to have a spread Sort of you know misdirection type of run game, which is predicated more on using the field and not necessarily so much man blocking. Or do you want to kind of play some big boy downhill type football? I mean, when you look at the guys that are available, certainly uh, at the top of the list, and and kind of you know one of the players that uh, I think is at the top of the list just in the two thousand twenty five class in general is Jordan Davison. You know, five eleven, six foot, two hundred fifteen pounds. Already 1,700 yards and something like, or 1,500 yards and 17 touchdowns playing for modern day. I mean, if you are as a sophomore just starting and getting reps at a school like modern day playing in the Trinity League, you're doing pretty good. But the fact that he's splitting carries and he's still able to get 1,500 yards and 17 touchdowns is kind of insane at this point in time in his career. Now, USC's got work to do with him. I mean, they've got to get him feeling like, you know, tailback you. The history, you see with him, you know, he he kind of is more of a you know an IE a ducks guy, and and there's a lot of Oregon talk with him. Uh, USC's gotta pin him down. But I think with the way the personnel choices are going, I think the offense in the future is going to be very, very good looking for Jordan Davidson, who, from a comparison standpoint, and we kind of talked about this in our 2025 offensive breakdown, kind of getting a little more focused on some of these players and, and breaking them down is more than just names. I think Davidson kind of reminds me a little bit of a Royce Freeman, maybe a little bit of a, um the kid from uh from from Florida, Lamichael Pirine, whose uh his cousin actually played at Oklahoma and when Lincoln Riley was the optical coordinator at Oklahoma. Um, you know, Purine, a little more built like a building, building ball, he's a little, a little shorter. Um, but I think, you know, depending on the physical development of Davidson, because again, we're talking about 2025, I mean, he could end up being, you know, six foot, six foot one, two twenty five. Now I'm looking at him more like a Royce Freeman, you know, it's, it's depending on his growth. Some guys just don't grow a whole lot and they put on the weight. Some guys actually grow out a little bit. Um, he kind of reminds me of those two running backs but a guy that could definitely be, you know, a cross between a combo back and a power back, but the capability of being a power back behind some really big offensive linemen. I mean, you think if they're able to get guys like, uh, like, uh, like you know, DeAndre Carter, you know, is already pushing, you know, 330, and some of the guys that they've got on the offensive line now, I mean, it's a long ways away from the, the, the Brent Neelands of the world that are barely pushing 280, 285 on the interior. And Justin Dietrich, you know, that are just barely pushing 280, 285 pounds at like six foot one, six foot two, maybe uh, on a good day in cleats. Um, it's a big difference between, you know, guys like that and Amos Talalele, who are going to be in that six, four, six, five range, and they're going to be pushing 320, 330. So the run game, I think, going into the Big Ten, also keep that in mind, is going to evolve quite a bit. And you might see just more straight up, let's get some dive blocks, uh, some dive runs in there. Uh, let's run a little more off tackle. You know, the GT counter, which is something that Lincoln Riley really loves. I don't know if you're going to run it as much uh, with all that sort of beef if you want those guys to have to move quite as much. You know, GT counter, obviously, you've got some bulls there and you need mobility. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they can they can recruit some of these guys that are this big, you know, 325, 335. And those guys can still move around like that. Obviously, that's the best of both worlds. You'd love to have that. But sometimes you can just get offensive lines can just lean on people because they're big and they're strong. And like I said before, when you get to those levels and you really start to play big boy football, and this is something that was interesting that uh, Gronkowski mentioned this uh, when USC played Arizona, and it was on the Telegast, and uh, Gronk kind of talked a little bit about how – lateral the game is at the college level and and, and how horizontal everything was and, and and compared to the pro game which is a bit more vertical and i think he was correct in that observation and it is interesting to talk about in that I, first and foremost i think that's a little bit of a tell where you have a lot of college football teams that are not confident in their personnel and winning one-on-one battles and you tend to see a a horizontal lateral game near and, and and behind the line of scrimmage more than you see with teams that are very talented. And it's just basically more about misdirection because when you're running a lot of lateral type of plays at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage, a lot of that is it, their screens, it's option play, it's mesh play, it's, it's crossing routes, it's shallow stuff that you're trying to use the field to gain an advantage because you do not have the ability to take a guy and go one-on-one in man coverage and beat him straight out. And so, you know, in the program, obviously everybody is very talented and there's much more confidence our guy is going to beat your guy. And so I think with USC moving forward, perhaps that's what we see more of them. If they get better and they get more talented and there's more confidence in the offensive line and the running backs and, and sort of all the position groups, perhaps you see the USC get a little more vertical and linear in their offense as you go forward. And and again, that also goes for the running game. So instead of, you know, a lot of RPO and mesh reads, there's just more straight up handoffs, maybe even more under center where you get a downhill running game, attacking the, uh, the defense just from the, from the snap.
1: I think we can shift to your defensive target list for the 2025 class. And for me, looking at these lists, I think I would just want to focus on the defensive front because, you know, nothing really stands out to me about the cornerbacks and safeties. Not a ton of safety offers, but actually there are a couple new ones that have happened over the past uh, several days. So it's a little out of date in that terms. There's at least three more names on these safety charge. No offense to you, Gerard. These, these were made before these offers went out. But that's the thing in the target list. It'll be on the next update. But for me, the most interesting aspect of the 2025 defensive target list is just those players in the front. You have a handful of defensive linemen. None of them are from the state of California. All of them are out of state. The majority of them are in the south, in Texas, and Georgia, and Florida, and then a couple of Baltimore, Maryland guys. And all of these guys, at least six foot two. none of them over 300 pounds. But you have to remember – these guys are only sophomores, so you're looking at a six foot three, 270 pound sophomore. Hey, that guy could very easily be over 300 by the time he's a senior. But so these guys are going to keep growing into their body. So if you're looking at this as a USC fan, you're looking. Hey, USC is looking to get bigger. It looks like because these guys are big now as just sophomores. But outside of you know nobody being from the California area in this defensive line offer, moving on. You know the hybrid rushers, Barry stacked position in terms of offers so far but the big one that jumps out is nasir wyatt out there at modern day uh, high school and gerard i know you're a really 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 big fan of him and i've seen him play a couple times and i was blown away the first time i saw him there was just a stretch of plays where he was just unblockable for felt like five consecutive plays and he i think has the potential to be and not only like a five-star prospect but like a top kind of guy if he keeps developing off the edge and just a supreme talent and a guy i think usc really he's got to be really high on their board he's got to be you need edge rushers like edge rushers like that and Nasir Wyatt wide is already trending towards being a really really good prospect uh from that hybrid rusher kind of class and then the linebacker class could be really really special for usc if they play their cards right because they have two really, really big five-star caliber guys right there in their backyard in uh, Madden Far Faramino and Noah McHale, who they've been both recruiting really, really heavily. Noah has been on campus multiple, multiple times, so Brian Odom is is doing a really good job of building that relationship. Uh, lots of linebacker offers, outs- uh, offers made in this 2025 cycle, but those are the top two guys being the highest-rated guys, and two guys right here in California. So could be a really special linebacker class.
2: That jumps out immediately um, when you're looking at the defensive side of the ball, because those guys already being pretty well established. I think Noah McHale more as a national name because he's taken a lot of unofficial visits. He's been very proactive in going to Texas and going to Ohio state. He's been to Alabama, I believe. So He's been to a lot of major schools and major conferences. But Madden Ferriamo might be the best-looking prospect in the 2025 class that at least has a scholarship on the West Coast from USC. He's a guy that played mostly safety. Um, his brother played volleyball at USC. His cousin played football at USC. And so he has some lineage there. Uh, from a family standpoint, now, his sister was also a really, really good softball pitcher at UCLA. So there's a little bit of UCLA-USC. He'll be a national recruit if he chooses to be. If he wants to stay closer to home and his family wants him closer to home, it'll be a USC-UCLA, probably Oregon type of battle. But certainly, uh, from the standpoint, we talked about him a little bit after the passing down tournament, uh, looks the part. I mean, he absolutely looks the part 6'3. 215-220 pounds, very, very lean, and a guy that, again, you know, coming down from the safety position, so you already know he has that athleticism. He's just gaining weight at this point and could be a very, very good player. I think with Noah McHale, probably developing a little bit more into a Mike linebacker, in my opinion, only because he plays wide receiver, he plays running back, um, he plays both off the edge and plays in the middle. He's a very smart, cerebral kid, and I think he has very good eyes. And I think from a body standpoint, I could see him playing middle linebacker. So I think just when you have those skill sets to play multiple different positions and the fact that you played quite a bit of offense, and he's going to probably play even more offense going forward for Bonita here uh, in in the future, I think that that's definitely uh, a possibility when you're looking specifically at where he lines up, the difference between playing a weak side whale type Mike uh, inside linebacker and playing the actual Mike linebacker position. USC has not been specific with either of them really. Um, just you know, generally talking about them coming in and playing linebacker. Um, to your point, back to talking about Nasir Wyatt, probably the most dominant that we've seen of the 2025 class in terms of performance. Um, the, the games that we've seen him in, he has always not only flashed but been consistently good, you know, watching him against Crony Centennial, where, you know, that position at the edge is going to be attacked quite a bit uh, because they run such a good run option offense. And I mean, he was just uh, very, very difficult for them to block consistently, whether it was pass rush or just disrupting the option game. He's one of those guys that really knifed in there and was consistently good for modern day. The question with him is going to be, you know, how much does he grow? He's a little older than his class. And he's 6'2", 210. Two, and so you want to play that sort of jack, uh, predator, rush-in position, whatever you want to call it in the hybrid 3-4 defense. You usually like those guys to be a, a bit taller and a bit longer, 6'3", six, six, ish, when you put them at the line of scrimmage. So the question is how much length does he have by the time he's getting out of high school, and will that determine whether he's going to be on the line of scrimmage, or do you want to move him back like a, a race on Davis where – you know, you're just not really comfortable with throwing a guy up there that's 6'1", 6'2", at the line of scrimmage when you have to go against these 6'6", you know, 315-pound offensive tackles. It just makes it very difficult. Even if you're going against a tight end these days, you know, those guys are 6'5", you know, 235, 240. Um, on the defensive line, the one thing I'm surprised you didn't notice and didn't talk about at the outset was the fact that uh, USC going after St. Francis, um, defensive lineman at the top of uh, the target list, both Trent Wilson and Darian Smith are both saying, Francis guys, I'm sure that they've got a little bit of a relationship with Sam Green. USC is going to try to use that, try to create some type of pipeline into the DMV. And Sam Green, they hope, is going to be a little bit of a ambassador for them on, on the football program. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, that would be obviously very big. USC also uh, doing a good job recruiting London Merritt is another name to keep an eye on out of Atlanta, Georgia. Now he's 6'3", 230. And like you said, Chris. These are guys that are, are going to be 265, 270 by the time they're coming out of high school. Um, these you know, list, name, uh, list weights are not probably super accurate when you come mm-hmm. to defensive linemen. Um, so we'll see what these guys look like. I mean, right now, 6'3, 230, and you're saying, well, that guy's going to be a lineman? Like, that sounds like a linebacker. But yeah, in two years, that could be very easily 265, 270. And then when you get them into college, you're, you're talking about probably another 20 pounds. I mean, USC's uh, recruiting guys like Elijah Hughes and, and Sam green that are you know 260 265 and they're hoping those guys are probably going to be 280 uh 290 at, at the very least when they're you know sophomores in college so uh there's a lot of physical development that goes on here when you're talking about linemen which again goes back to me talking about the offensive line and and seeing some guys that are you know 325 and you're a sophomore it's like whoa okay you know if it, you're coming out of high school and you're 280 uh 380 um then you've got sort of those max gibbs problems and that becomes uh an issue so um, you have to uh, be kind of careful in terms of uh, what you're recruiting and, and what those guys develop like physically and it's, and it's the right weight. it's the good weight that they're putting on.
1: Yeah, so 2025 could be a really, really good class, you know, as we mentioned with no not a lot of local offensive and defensive line offers in California, but that seems to be the trend with the California guys uh, on, in the trenches and we'll probably see a lot more of those offers tick up over the next two years. I would also
2: interject. I would interject this, Chris, when we're talking about California um, recruiting and the scholarship offers that are going out to the 2025 class. Clearly, the one position where there's more offers to local players than any other is cornerback and defensive back. Mm -hmm. Right. So cornerback, I mean, USC already have the commitment of Jet White, who's now a decommitment, but also have quite a few other scholarship offers out. That's a, going to be one of the stronger positions, in my opinion, of the class, and I just think it's interesting because you've got Dante Williams there, who's obviously a West Coast guy, and he's going after these guys, and he's recruiting and not afraid to go after those local players, probably because he's more confident as to who's out there. You know it's again sort of territorial recruiting and what your staff looks like. And if you've got a staff full of Texas guys, or you've got a staff full of Florida guys or what have you. That's probably why you're not going to get a ton of local offers. So that's something that you know Lincoln Riley has to think about in the future. You know when you're when you're putting together a staff and, and if there's moves, the 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 benefit to potentially going after guys that are local guys and to make sure that if you really do want to lock down the region, um, they have those contacts and they are comfortable locally uh, with recruiting the West Coast because obviously you know this is a staff which. It's a little more diverse in terms of their background than Clay Helton's uh, staffs, which ended up being a bunch of guys from Texas. And you looked and you saw offers, and there's a whole bunch of offers out to, like, East Texas and Central Texas and places you go, wow, USC going all the way out there to recruit those guys? I mean, there's a lot of local players here that you probably should be recruiting harder. You know, it's, it's really about the feedback you're going to get from those recruits. And if you don't have those connections in the area, you might not get great feedback. So I think um, that's also something that uh, stood out to me a bit when it came to scholarship offers at this early period for the 2025 class and comparing it even with 2024, which I believe just at face value from what we've seen early on, 2025 looks a bit better than 2024 in terms of headline players and guys that are difference makers. 2024, eh, we'll see how it shakes out, but at the top, definitely in terms of those marquee-type players, it's lacking a bit.
1: You're not sold, Gerard, it sounds like. You're not sold at all. He's not sold at all on 2024. That's probably a little bit of a harsh uh, estimate. But, yes, it does seem like 2025 has some earlier big names for its cycle than it does 2024. But, briefly, we're going to hit on not a a ton of the 2024 target list, which you did update recently. Outside of, like, a Dylan Royola, there's not a ton of, I would say... A quote unquote star power for some of the skill positions, you know, not really for wide receiver or running back. Most of the quote unquote sexy names out of this class is for the offensive line, which is where a lot of people have their hopes and desires tagged to with, you know, DeAndre Carter and Brandon Baker and those two guys. But there is a lot of options that Josh Henson is cultivating on that offensive line board you know he's taking a, a, a page out of Dante Williams playbook and filling his board with a lot of offers that he keeps sending out seems like every you know period where offers are going out there's at least a couple 2024 offensive linemen he's been hitting on some interior guys i've noticed the, the last couple offers in the 2024 class have been interior guys and we'll talk about them towards the end of the show with those new offers but one that jumps out you know is Andrew Sprague. I believe that's how you say it, uh, you know, uh, tackle out of, uh, Missouri, uh, big guy, six foot seven, you know, what wor- wrote about him in the war room a little bit about how, you know, USC seems to be, you know, a school he really has interest in really likes the LA area famously does not really do interviews super hard to get a hold of him. So we'll have to, to see how that goes. Uh, you know, he moves through his visits, probably be a low key kind of guy, but Andrew Sprague, uh, Six foot eight, 290 could be a massive, massive addition for this offensive line class, which we expect to be another big, big uh, position that they're going to hit in 2024, like they hit in 2023.
2: Yeah, certainly. And, you know, there's local options at the top of the list, and they're good options. <laughs> number one, offensive tackle in the nation, and the number two, offensive guard in the nation. And so, you know, DeAndre Carter and Brandon Baker, that's really where it begins and ends for a lot of Trojan fans. They talk about wanting to build a fence around California, Southern California specifically. And one of the big things that's happened over the past few weeks is the fact that you have Adrian Clem leaving the Oregon uh, football program and going back to the NFL, and a relative unknown, uh, someone that was in the Oregon football program, but not you know someone that has been around as long as Adrian Clem, and certainly uh, doesn't have the resume of uh, Mario Cristobal uh, uh, as an offensive line coach, and so that gives USC a, a much greater opening, perhaps even with Brandon Baker, whose brother did play at Oregon, and, and Oregon is still going to be for sure a contender here, but now USC all of a sudden is the one that has a relationship, right? Now USC is the one. That's made more inroads, and the comfort level of those two players with USC is all of a sudden changed and become maybe a little bit more of a factor that works towards USC than against USC. So I think that's very big. Um, One of the more interesting things is looking at the interior and knowing, you know, Devin Brooks, the 6'4, 290 pound optive guard uh, from Clackamas, Oregon. I'm um, very high on USC is probably going to come back down at some point this spring to, to watch a practice. And we have him rated as high level of interest and, and high level of interest, just to review for folks that, that maybe uh, don't know is it, basically USC in the top three. It's not to say USC leads, but when you're looking at high medium, low interest, you're you're kind of looking at medium interest being that there's potential there for an official visit, which is to say top five, top seven-ish. And high interest being you're probably for sure going to get a hat on the table and you're of a lead group, if not the leader, for that particular prospect. So um, Sprague, Baker, Carter, Brooks is one of those guys. It would be very ironic if USC, you know, who has lost a couple of commitments in the 2024 class and those players like Aaron Butler, uh, Aaron White, um, Dylan Williams, Jason Robinson, the uh, second ended up going to Oregon and USC with their loan commitment of the two thousand and twenty four class being Joey Olson from Oregon, and then perhaps devin Brooks also from Oregon, so an odd sort of trading places there in terms of recruiting territory, uh, not necessarily I think a good trade off for USC, uh, but nevertheless, sort of um, shaping out to be a little bit like that perhaps but um, the offensive line, yeah, USC certainly uh, has some good options here. And uh, we'll see where it goes. Isaiah Garcia uh, announced that he's going to be uh, unofficially visiting USC uh, on April 8th. The, the, the Holy Hour, as we're, we're calling it. Um, we're calling it the Holy Hour because it's Easter weekend. Um, we're going to see how it develops here with, with some of these guys. And, you know, there's not going to be, I think, a bunch of early commitment. Devin Brooks, I could see getting it done earlier rather than later. Um, I don't know about Brandon Baker and I don't know about DeAndre Carter. I think they could let it go um, perhaps even past the summer. You know, uh, DeAndre Carter's kind of been back and forth about that, whether he wants to wait it out until the end of the year. Um, I think Baker, there's a better chance that he makes that decision before his senior year. Sprague, I really don't know about, Um, but some of these other players, it's going to be a question of, you know, can you get them on campus? And, um, you know, what's that going to look like after that visit to campus? You know, the guys that haven't been on campus before. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This year, the difference being when you get those summer visits, getting more visits from players which you're trying to close the deal with as opposed to having a handful of guys come in that you're just trying to get traction with. And you're just trying to get your foot in the door with um, USC wants to be able to close the deal with more of these players and potentially have more of the class committed by the time your season starts.
1: And then just going to the defense, the thing that stands out to me is at the linebacker position, and I'm including the rush end position as well with, with that, that statement. I really like the linebacker board that Brian Odom has been building. I think there's a lot of really, really good options and interesting options that they're, they're feeling out for. Those are guys that are local. To California, whether that's SoCal or NOCAL, and some some guys from different states that that have interest in USC. And then with the same thing with the hybrid rushers, you know, one that's really rising up in terms of their interest is Obina Anwuka, who is from my neck of the woods in Upper Bar- Upper Marlboro, Maryland. Not just picking him because he's a D.M.V. guy, but I literally grew up in Upper Marlboro as well, and. I've gotten to talk with him a little bit. He's, he goes to Flowers High School. where I A couple friends go there, so I have some familiarity with that area. But six foot three, two hundred and twenty-five pounds, also a pretty good uh, state champion level wrestler out there. So he has some dual sport athleticism there. There's a lot of guys on the board. I, I think he's a guy. He's a guy who's going to come out for that holy hour visit. You know, he has a relationship with uh, guys already on. So excuse me. He has a relationship with Mike Williams, who is his teammate, who has a relationship with Sam Green. They played together at Saint Francis, so there's a you know a little bit of a bond going on there with these Dmv guys. So that's going to be interesting to see when he gets on campus and uh, next month for uh, that Holy Hour. And then like I mentioned, Kingston Billyamaasa, you know high interest. Braden Platt, someone they just order, offered out of Washington. There's there's a lot of great options at the line in that linebacker uh, board that they're building.
2: Yeah, and options that you don't have to really go that far to get. You're talking mm-hmm. about the DMV, and then you mentioned Dylan Williams, who was already committed to USC. still considering USC, but I think Oregon is his leader right now. Kingston, Belial I think is also a huge potential get for USC out of St. John Blasco. They're battling Ohio State. I think Ohio State leads in that particular recruitment, but USC is within, restri- within striking distance. I mean, you've got Blake Tabarucci or Tabarucci, uh, as, as, as it's probably pronounced correctly, who is, uh, the brother of, um, just, um, uh, transferring to USC from Utah last year and, and was down, uh, because of injury. Uh, but obviously having a brother on the, on the football team is going to help USC recruit him a little bit. Um, you just talked to Keyshawn Flowers from Severn, uh, Maryland? 16. Severn, Maryland, yeah.
1: Archbishop Spalding, Maryland, or high school, excuse me.
2: I think one of the things, you know, you talk about with linebackers and rush ends is the fact that you're talking about three, maybe four different positions there. You know, it, it, that's something you kind of have to consider too when you see the names and you go, oh man, you know, there's a lot of good options out there. But then when things seek out, sometimes it, it's not quite as deep as you think it is because it's not all just rush ends, right? It's some of these guys are going to be actual defensive ends that are going to need to put their hand on the ground and be more five techniques. Some of these guys will be actual hybrid linebacker type rush ends that you stand up and are your sort of lead dog pass rushers. And other guys are linebackers and they're going to play in the interior linebacker. They're going to play Mike or Will. So it's a it's a long list and there's good options there, but they're also multiple positions that you have to recruit and have to fill uh, with all those names. So we'll see who ends up where. Um, Definitely want to see where USC goes with Eliza rushing. They were a little late on his scholarship offer and he hasn't been to USC very much. And I think USC is definitely lingering a bit outside of that probably top five, top four bubble for him. And so maybe they just don't like him. I mean, we saw him at the Under Armour camp last year and stood out immediately and was kind of shocked that he unofficially visited USC and walked away from campus without a scholarship offer. That was, that changed like a couple of weeks later, <laughs> but, um, you know, those type of guys, you know, at the top of the list, Colin Simmons is, is another big time player, 6'3", 225, a little bit small. Uh, again, when we're talking about guys you put at the line of scrimmage, 6'3", is sort of borderline, you know, you know some guys can get away with it like Yuchenia Nuwasu. Uh, who is you know about six three two thirty? But you got to have those real long arms. You know you got to kind of be an outlier in terms of your your arm strength and your length to be able to separate and, and disengage from blocks playing around that line of scrimmage because you're going to be playing against a lot of guys who are going to try to block you that have long arms and they basically block on you. And if you've got little turtle arms, man, you ain't going nowhere.
1: Turtle arms. Hey, at Trevino Tech, we 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 don't we don't shy away from turtle arms. That's <laughs> all I'm <laughs> saying.
2: Tech. Wait, 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 hold on! No, you're getting your Trevino Tech confused with your Maryland Terp bias. Trevino Tech ain't got nothing to do with turtle. Trevino Tech is the aren't they the fighting uh, mud crab meteorologists or something like that?
1: I don't know where the meteorologist part came in, but I'm just saying we don't take no turtle uh, trash talk around here. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> turtle she arms are very, arms? very powerful. They gotta, they gotta propel themselves through the water at high and speed. Those are all muscle, baby. Yeah. Don't, be, don't be talking about no turtle arms like that. Okay, T-Rex arms. T-Rex arms. There, there you go. Even though that is probably... I'm no scientist, but those are probably relatives of the turtle arms, so... I, I But I'll allow that one. No, I'll allow T-Rex
2: that one. is more of a relative of birds than they are turtles, but let's not go down that rabbit hole.
1: Nerd. Nerd. Uh, I think that wraps up the 2024... Target list overview. So I think we—it's time we kind of jump into the holy hour, as you have dubbed it, and oh. I'm assuming uh, dubbing it for the the next couple weeks and months as it as it approaches. That is the uh, the the spring knockoff of the golden hour from the official visitors that hit up USC in the 2023 cycle. We'll probably have a catchy name for that next summer. Do you think they'll reuse that? but they'll call it the golden hour again.
2: I think there's a possibility. I mean, usually schools do try to brand those type of things. Like the rising stars camp became the rising stars camp, not only for USC, but Sarch stole it and used it at the, at Washington when he went to Washington, which I thought was just so lame because I mean, you could have like the dog camp, you could have the (laughs) dog pound or you could do a lot of different things with Washington. Why are you just going to steal rising stars camp? But Yeah, they usually grab onto something and kind of try to build around it. So possibly, I don't, to be honest with you, I don't know why it was called the Golden Hour. I actually asked about that, and nobody gave me kind of a clear explanation. I mean, were they only at the Coliseum for an hour to do those photos? I think they were there longer than an hour. Well, the
1: the Golden Hour refers to that magical time for photos between... The the sun going down and that, that, you know, we have that that lighting that that golden lighting. That's what it refers to. But I mean, maybe that's what it was a reference to. I don't know.
2: Well, I mean, that's when they took a lot of the photos and everything. But I didn't know if it was like specifically about what they were doing at the Coliseum other than the photos, like there was more going on, but I didn't know that that was a general reference to that time of day. So that hey, learned something new every day, right? The more, you it's know, that,
1: yeah, in the photo, in the photo world, the golden hour is King. Golden hour is, is, is key, but yeah, we'll see if that's what it's called uh, this summer with the official visit hosts, or if they have anything like that again, maybe they'll have something different than a luau. We'll see. But April 8th, Visitors that are shaping up to be, I mentioned, Obina Onwuka on is supposed to be there. His teammate, uh, offensive tackle Mike Williams, is supposed to be there as well. They're going to come visit together. Linebacker Ty Anthony Smith out of Jasper, Texas. Uh, a couple of McKinney, Texas teammates and Xavier Filsama. No, I said that wrong. Xavier Phil Same. Nope, said it wrong again. Gerard, help me out. Why are you just letting me flounder here?
2: <laughs> because I actually don't know how to pronounce it properly either. I have not been able to speak with him directly yet. Uh, Filsami, it could be Philsami.
1: I, not- I sound that sounds better than the previous two attempts I have. So we'll go with cornerback Xavier Filsami and athlete slash running back Brian Jackson, who we will be talking about in crystal ball stock market here in a little bit. Uh, Glenville, Ohio, cornerback Bryce West, Bradenton running back Stacy Gage out of Florida. And as you mentioned, Magna Utah offensive tackle Isaiah Garcia, the Caleb Lomu of the 2024 class. That is an impressive list early for April 8th in the Holy Hour. We'll see as that list continues to grow as well. Anything stand out about that, Gerard? And also with you.
2: Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's a good-looking list. I think it's going to blow up here. There's, there's a few more kids from Texas that we're hearing are going to – come out and we haven't really confirmed things and certainly you know these are unofficial visits and you know sometimes those those fall through at the last minute but i think uh you know defensive backs being able to get uh, bryce west out here from glenville glenville ohio been a long time since we've heard about glenville so this goes back you know chris always wants to talk about historic recruiting <laughs> classes and going back with those stories of recruiting but teddy ginn baby if you are a longtime pair styler You'll remember the Teddy Ginn recruitment and the recruitment of several players after him, which none of which were quite to that level of player. But Ted Ginn Jr. and his dad, which you know really sort of put Glenville, Ohio on the map in terms of recruiting, they had just a pipeline of good players coming out of that program. And USC was competing uh, for uh, several of them going against Ohio State. And it just seemed like they were runner up, runner up, runner up. On every single one of those players. But nevertheless, uh, another top cornerback coming out of Glenville, Ohio. So it it will be interesting uh, getting him on campus and to see if, you know, USC becomes a real player for him or any of these other defensive backs. When, of course, as we talked about, there are quite a few good defensive backs here locally in the 2024 2025 classes. So, um, you know, we'll see how this list how it develops here um, and in terms of need positions, maybe more linemen. um, You know, we really don't know a lot about like Anthony Smith and some of these other players that are coming in from Texas um, and some of the other players that will be coming in uh, during the spring um, outside of that specific date. You know, and and, and why is it April 8th? I mean, probably because it is Easter weekend and you're going to have uh, a little more time off. And so these guys are going to be able to travel and not necessarily miss a lot of school. but. I talked to Hushden, four-star athlete, King Joseph Edwards today, and, um, you know, I've talked to him occasionally just because I know he's been trying to get back out to L.A. to take another official visit to USC, and he says he's coming out March 25th. Uh, So, you know, that's going to be another big-time guy that's going to be coming out for an unofficial visit. And I think just in general, you're going to see a lot of unofficial visits this spring. Um, Maybe, you know, I think the one – interesting aspect of this is going to be watching the spring game and and seeing last year USC did not make a big deal out of the spring game a lot of teams make a big deal out of spring game because the spring game attendance at places like Ohio State Nebraska is huge not so at USC you know USC even last year I think it was like you know 30 40,000 people uh, officially attended uh, according to the sports information department it's still not going to be the environment that you're going to get at Alabama or some of these other programs. And so USC de- definitely in the past has always kept it a little more low-key, a little more local, and it'll be interesting to see if they do that again and instead bringing in a bunch of these guys in for maybe a scrimmage or something like that. I personally, let me just put this out here. Okay. I, if the uh, athletic department is listening, would make April 8th a open to the public and media scrimmage at Howard Jones Field because if you do one or two open practices and it's in that kind of small environment, it will be a great atmosphere, even though it's not going to be whatever 80,000 people or somebody that shows up to Iowa or, or Ohio state or whatever, because, you know, there's nothing going on in the middle of April in those cities and those towns, it's still going to feel like an and one tournament. Because I remember back in the day when Pete Carroll had those open scrimmages, especially for fall camp, you would have people just hanging off the fences everywhere. Like there would be just four people deep at the track field, just on that edge of the stands where you can see over Howard Jones field. I mean, it was really cool. Just the, the, the intensity with, with that people. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's 1500 people, it's 2000 people at very most, but it's the, it's the setting. And so, I mean, I think that helps with recruiting. I think that's one thing that USC it's not always really well aware of, you know, when they close everything down and, and there's no media, there's no anybody. It, it's kind of a bit quiet and a, and a bit lonely. And, and these recruits kind of look at it like oh, this, this football program kind of seems a little bit dead and you can play your music as loud as you want to. It's still nothing like when you've got, you know, a bunch of people there and showing that interest. And it's just uh, it's just a hyped event. And it's 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 really kind of smoke and mirrors to some extent, because, again, you're talking about, you know, fifteen hundred, two thousand people compared to eighty thousand people. But again, it's the venue and packing them all in there and everybody wants to see it. And I guess I tell you what, the players also get amped from that. I mean, that was one of Pete Carroll's greatest strategies was the fact that he never wanted to dial it down. Pete Carroll's philosophy was always keep it at eleven. Like it didn't matter if it was just a random practice on a Wednesday in the middle of the week. Get as many people here. We get the refs here. Get. Everybody. I do not want my players peaking, uh, 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 playing in peaks and valleys. I want them always. I want them desensitized to, the to the intensity. And so when we go out there Saturdays, it's not a big game. It's not different. We play in front of people. We play at a high level of intensity every single day. And I think when you turn it down and you you know you've got nobody around at practice there's no parents there's nobody watching you know I know players are supposed to be motivated by their coaches and all but there's a little extra something there you you put a bunch of family members out there and a bunch of fans out there and they're hanging off a dado field stadium and and, and everybody's up top watching I think it would be a better environment for recruiting
1: yeah I mean for, for two things the first point is I agree with you because I know this isn't the same thing at all but When we're there for rising stars camps, it is packed on the sidelines with all those people and there is definitely a little bit of there's energy. There's a buzz there with all everyone, you know, competing and watching on the field and it gets it gets close quarters in there and but you definitely feel that that energy and that buzz. It's obviously not the same thing because one are, you know, high school levels of you know, high schoolers and not, you know, college practice. But I, I think that point still stands. But the second part, it would never happen. It's not gonna happen, Gerard. I'm sorry to tell you.
2: Okay.
1: (laughs) keep it. Keep I. I I don't want to crush your dreams, but
2: it's not (laughs) my dreams. Hey, it's just a suggestion.
1: And also with you and also with you. And finally, before we take our break, we do have some the NFL Combine starts this week, Gerard. And I there are five players going to be five Trojans. Excuse me. That will be in attendance at the NFL Combine. Jordan Addison, Tuli Tupilotu, Andrew Voorhees, Makai Blackman. And Travis Dye will be in attendance for the Trojans. Did I skip somebody? One, two, three, four, five. Nope. And, you know, there's a couple other draft hopefuls with USC being, you know, Nick Figueroa and Brett Nelon. Unfortunately, Brett Nalon is recovering from that Achilles injury that he suffered in the Pac-12 championship. Uh, I would imagine if he had not injured himself, he would have gotten a, a combine invite. So, unfortunately, that is not the case. But we will have five guys on displayed. Gerard, just right at the top, over under five guys getting drafted uh, this spring.
2: Are we allowed to talk about this? Is this uh, – do we tie it into recruiting? I guess we could tie it into recruiting. Certainly, it would be awesome if there was a combine which was as organized and as thorough <laughs> as the NFL combine is for pro players uh, at the high school level.
1: Uh, yeah, it's called the opening.
2: Yeah, yeah, not quite. But uh, nevertheless, uh, the over/under on five players being drafted. I'm going to say, hey, I think, yeah, I think five players from USC could be drafted. Um, it's definitely going to be interesting to see where people go.
1: So, just to be uh, clear, you're taking five in the over/under.
2: <laughs> well, uh, oh, uh, uh, I, I feel like right at five is. is so probably. you're
1: you're saying you're taking the over at four and a half. If it's listen, four and a half.
2: Listen, listen buddy. I don't gamble. This is why I always screw up on Famously,
1: you love to tell everyone in the group chats, I don't gamble. I don't know.
2: Stupid, ridiculous, gamble-happy predictions that Ryan forces this to make because he's probably a gambling addict or something. I freaking – I don't know. I don't know what any of that even means. I never thought of point spreads when I think about analysis for games. It just doesn't. It just doesn't compute for me.
1: So Gerard see, plus seven and a half or not? Take it or I, leave it.
2: Like I've screwed up predictions more than once doing that. Like I'm like, uh, yeah, and I got it right, and then I, and Ryan's like, yeah, you were wrong this week, and I go, no, wait, no, no, oh, not that's that's what I thought. And then I look at what I wrote, and then he explains to me, no, that means this, and then I'm like, oh, whatever, man, whatever. But anyways, okay, I'm taking five guys to be drafted from USC in this. Draft. so there you go that's
1: it i should have said over under five and a half so you'll take the under and say five on the dot okay you've been very uh confident and you've said it multiple times that two pelota you think will go in the first round do you still hold that to be the case going into the combat i mean he's gonna have a chance to help his stock obviously and uh conversely also hurt his stock but he could obviously play himself or combine himself into being a first-round pick after this week. So are you still on the Tui to first-round mock? Or over under whether Tui
2: Tupilotu goes in the first round, Gerard. Um, I I'll give it
1: to you at plus 700.
2: I have ignorantly uh, promoted uh, the idea that Tui Tupilotu played himself in the first round. And I say ignorantly just because I'm not watching all the other players that are on that board, you know, guys from Houston, guys from Texas Tech, guys from K State. There's a bunch of uh, edge rushers and outside linebackers and defensive ends that I haven't seen to really make that that claim. Um, it's just more of a uh, the level of play for him within a bubble. Um, I think he's definitely given himself an opportunity to be drafted in the first round. And the other aspect of all of this conversation is. You know, what do teams need? You know, that always changes things as well. If somebody, you know, trades up because they have a need, and all of a sudden, you know, you get some shifting in terms of a particular position, and all of a sudden, you know, now you got a bunch of defensive ends that have been pushed back in in the draft. You know, so I think the one thing hurting him is that he A doesn't play at a value position. Um in in other words, he's probably more of a fight technique, and I do think that. While USC did him a service in using him around and showing his athleticism, and I think that very much helps him. And certainly the fact that he got 13, 13 and a half sacks last season very much helps him. So the development and what he was able to do statistically definitely put him on the map to potentially being a first round pick. I think he's probably more of a second round pick. Now that I look at the boards and I I listen to uh, Daniel Jeremiah, who's a good friend. Of the podcast, and somebody that I trust with his evaluations and knows a hell of a lot more about the NFL landscape in terms of team needs than I do, and feels like he's going to end up being back more in the second round and in, in, in probably mid to, to, to late, even. Um, but I do think the one disservice that USC potentially did at the same time showing his athleticism was moving him around and not necessarily allowing him to own the position, which I think he has his highest ceiling at, and that's three technique. I think Tuli Tui Polotu is more than likely going to uh, make his greatest impact at the next level playing inside, and he played a lot of outside, and he even played linebacker, and he even dropped in the coverage famously, and I think those things didn't necessarily really help him a lot. Um, at, at, again, it, I think it helped him in some ways, but then it took away opportunities for him to make a greater impact on the interior, and I think that is where NFL teams are probably struggling there There is such a thing as versatility being somewhat of a negative and, and in the NFL, I think they like to paint you and put you in a box in a category and say, "He's this, and he does this great, and that's what we need. When you're a guy that does a bunch of things well but maybe haven't been able to showcase anything specifically that's great, sometimes teams t- they sort of shy away from that and You know, they're trying to probably figure out where Tui Pelotu lines up at the next level within their defenses because he played all over the field. So I want to watch and see, A, how tall is he really? Is he 6'3", or is he really 6'4"? What is his arm length? Those are going to be very important uh, attributes for NFL franchises to, to know whether he can really be a force inside or whether he can play outside. I mean, he's shown that he can be a great pass rusher. I think there's some, some ticks down on him in terms of uh, him against the run on the outside and on the edge, and I agree with those. I've seen some, uh, some criticism of his discipline, and I think this is really something that we've seen from USC for, for quite a while that's been an issue is run fits and the discipline in run fits and the different discipline that the edge players have in containment, and sometimes they get caught up and pass rush, and, and making moves that are pass rush moves when they should be really more aware of the run in those particular situations. And, and that's something that goes you know, even pre this coaching staff. And I, and I don't know what it is, but it's something we saw last year. And, and it was a point that I made about Jamil Muhammad, um as opposed to some of these other players that were in the transfer portal and watching film. And I really liked that Jamil Mohammed uh, at Georgia State had awareness it seems, situational awareness in how he rushed the passer as opposed to how he played against the run and not getting too wide not losing himself in his pass rush and trying to do a spin move or something when you've got a running back trying to fit that run right inside you you can't be caught up in some sort of ice pick spin move like you're going to take yourself right out of the play and sometimes you see that from players on the edge so um, that's something that I think Tui, Tui Pelotu did sometimes and had issues with sometimes. And I think, uh, that with arm length and just his frame is a question of him playing on the edge. Uh, certainly speed would be obviously say, I think a question as well in terms of closing speed. Um, so I think inside is really where he needs to be, but he didn't really get to showcase his talents there consistently because he didn't always line up there.
1: Yeah. And I'm some of the things I'm curious to see with Tui Tupelo too is how big he actually measures in. See him do some of those workouts. The 40 time doesn't really matter as much, but it is like the the sexiest thing to watch. You know, uh, GMs like do like seeing that that 44 that 40 time. I'm interested to see what he runs. Uh, interested to see what Jordan Addison runs. Uh, I still think he is. I wouldn't say a lock for the first round, but a pretty secure pick to be. Among the first 31, because I believe somebody is penalized their first round pick for this year. So it was only 31 first round picks, but you get the case. And I'm interested to really see, assuming Andrew Voorhees is healthy, how much he bench presses. We've heard of his legendary strength at USC. He could be a guy who probably leads the whole combine and maybe even, you know, I'm not going to say challenge for the record, which I think is 53, but I, I expect him to at least. Get up into the 40 range would which would place him among some of the best uh, bench press records that they've uh, that have happened at the combine.
2: I tell you what I think a lot of franchises probably would look at look at that as a negative if he actually broke the record or really even came to it and I know that sounds wild, and you're probably going what why would they look down upon somebody being very strong in the bench press? Because of long arms. Guys with long arms are not great bench pressers normally. You see a lot of great bench pressers um, that uh, just they, – they're great bench pressers because they have short arms. And they just <laughs> – you don't have is the, 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 the distance off your chest to a full extension as uh, as a guy with longer arms. So, you know, if, if Andrew Voorhees, um he actually breaks that record or comes close to it it's going to be a question of, okay, so what's his arm length? And that's more important uh, in the grand scheme of things for a lot of uh, franchises uh, that uh, are, are bringing in offensive linemen than uh, you know how much you bench press. Um, so kind of an odd uh, sort of thing there, but something I thought was uh, kind of funny when, when that subject came up for banter. Um, on Jordan Addison, I agree. I think he, he definitely gets in the first round. I have seen some... Mock drafts actually have him outside the first round, though. Uh, interestingly enough, and and behind, um, I think it was Justin Hyatt, which was sneaking in before him, and and those two guys. And it was basically, you know, there's not going to be more than like four or five guys at the wide receiver position in the first round. And if you know you're interchanging those two guys, that last guy uh, might end up being in the second round. I tell you, that would be bad for USC. And this is sort of maybe the, the negative of the transfer portal and bringing in guys that are already established players elsewhere that doesn't get talked about a lot. But I can guarantee you that if Jordan Addison drops out of the first round, having not won the Belitnikoff, when he won the Belitnikoff at Pitt, um, that would be used by a lot of programs as negative recruiting for other transfers. It would be like, you want to be like Jordan Addison and go to USC? and go from being a Bolitnikoff winner and a guy that people thought was maybe a first-round draft pick as an ineligible sophomore, junior, and then not end up in the first round and not win the Blitnikoff after you go to USC, that would absolutely be something that you would hear come from other football programs. So USC definitely crossing their fingers and hoping that he is at the very least a first-round draft pick, which I believe he will be. I think he's a consummate professional. Um, I don't know how well he's going to test. Uh, I think he is. um, He's a good athlete. I think he'll test right. And I've said this before. He's a better athlete than I thought he was coming out of pit. I thought he was probably um, just not quite as. uh, I I think like the broad jump, I think he could actually surprise a lot of people. Um, The vert. And I, I don't know about the 40. I don't know if that's going to be amazing, the, the long speed. Um, so that's going to be kind of the thing. But I think, you know, in terms of drills, catching the ball, and um, just, you know, his business-like attitude with things, I think he's very no-frills. I think that's going to attract a lot of programs. But there's definitely guys out there that are freaky athletes, um, Quentin Johnson, you know, those six four six three guys that could potentially run that 4'4", sub-4", 4'. You know, it's it's just some franchises. I'm looking at you Raiders that just are enamored with guys that are just athletes. You know, just few just freakish athletes. May not be great football players, but they're just freakish athletes. And so you always gotta take that into account as well.
1: I am also curious to see what that forty time is. He's fast though, so I mean, I think he's going to run a low four 4-4, four, like four four two, four, four Three, I think. I mean, high end. I think he can get like a high four three, like four three nine. I think that's like the best case. He he touches that four three nine. If he touches like a four three in any regard, I think he's like locked down for a uh, a first round pick. So he's fast, and I'm excited to see what he's going to run. I think people will be a little bit uh, uh scared of his height. He's not the biggest guy. He's not gonna you know he's not checking in. At like 220 or anything like that, but I, he's still very productive. Crazy ball skills in the air, good speed, so he could be a number one wide receiver in the league. So we'll see where he ends up, but I think the 40 is going to tell a lot about how high he can go. And if he cut, cut, touches that 4-3, yeah, I think it's a it's a lock. And just to go back on your bench press note, uh, the record is 51. You might be onto something because the top three guys here. Didn't really have long careers in the NFL. Ernest Justin Ernest said it in 1991, Eastern Kentucky defensive tackle only played one season with the Saints on their practice squad. Steven Paella out of Oregon State, 49, bounced around seven years in the league. And then Mike Kudla, Ohio State defensive lineman, 45 reps, bounced around for a couple years as well. The only like big name I'm looking at here is like Vita Vey, Washington defensive tackle, 41 reps. So... But I still think Andrew Voorhees can do 40, at least 40 reps. So we'll see.
2: I think he gets drafted for sure. I think Makai Blackman has, has mm-hmm. snuck into the draft with his play. Um, I think the guy that could get drafted and it's really going to come down like four or five is if Nick Figueroa gets drafted. And I just, I like Nick Figueroa. I think Nick Figueroa did not get to play consistently enough at USC. Um, he was moved around a bit, but he always seemed to flash. He always he seemed to do some things on the football field and had uh, very underrated athleticism and so potentially i i 'm going to be wrong I mean looking at the list and knowing how this goes down for u s c in years where they 've just kind of been okay uh, in the past uh, on the football field you know there 's definitely uh, a cachet that goes along with winning football programs and There's definitely a bit more confidence. And I don't even know how much, you know, behind the scenes, the USC strength and conditioning staff, the football staff is really going to pound the table for some of these guys because they're not necessarily their guys. And you have to kind of think about that as well because these scouts go in and they talk with the coaches and they talk with the strength staffs and they want to know, you know, hey, listen, you run a good football program, we've seen you win a lot of games. What do you think of these players? And that's something when you go in and you're talking to Clay Helton's staff, there's not a lot of respect for for Clay Helton and his staff because there's just not a lot of NFL experience there. And there's not a lot of guys that have been around winning football programs, even at the college level. So that's something that also comes into play with this. You know, when Pete Carroll's there, and you've got some guys that, uh, you know, have been around the league, like Pat Rule, uh, Ken Norton Jr., NFL scouts come in and and these guys pound the table for a player, they're going to take a chance on them. You know, that's where you start to see guys go in the later rounds, you know, fifth round uh, type guys, sixth round type guys. And it's like, okay, you know, the USC snuck in there and they got, you know, eight guys drafted, 10 guys drafted. uh, It's because, you know, a lot of the later rounds, it's not all because they're all first round and second round picks.
1: And with that, Gerard, Gerard, we're way over our mark where we usually take our break. We're already at an hour and 38, so definitely need to take a break right now. We'll come back, talk a little crystal ball stock market, run through a couple new offers, and then we'll get into some listener questions, including a voicemail. How's that sound?
2: That sounds fantastic.
1: All right. Stay warm. We'll take a break.
3: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Gerard, how is your temperature
1: right now?
2: <laughs> That's actually a good question. I, I, don't, I don't actually know. Let me can look you at feel
1: my... your toes and your fingers wiggle them?
2: I do feel them getting a little numb. And I put my hood oh, no. on just before we went to the break. Oh no! Um, it kind of sucks. So I can't hear you as well when I have like a hood on. But the temperature right now is it's still, it's, it's 45 degrees.
1: We so. can't have you getting frostbite uh, just from this episode. There's maybe no like problem. a maybe like an epic episode, but not like this episode. Can't can't be. It has to be a big time episode. But I don't know if you could hear in the background of me, but the wind was a whipping yeah, at, at yeah. certain points during uh, during the first half of our show. I didn't hear much from yours outside of that cookie tray falling. Uh, So, yeah, I don't know what the wind's doing at your side, but the wind was uh, making some noise over here on my end in Redondo Beach. Yeah,
2: my high is supposed to be 50 tomorrow, so it's warming up, Chris. It's warming up a little
1: bit. Before we get into Crystal Ball stock market, I did want to quickly run through some new offers because we don't really, like, jump in too much to the offers, so I just wanted to get those out of the way. But there has been several new offers that have come up over the last – 72 hours I would say there's been like three a day for the last couple days and there are two older ones that we didn't get a chance to talk about because we took a, a, a break for uh, last week but I'll just run through them right now with starting with the 2024 guys uh, Brian Arkansas 2024 defensive lineman TJ Lindsay six foot five 275 pounds three star prospect but he has an impressive offer list Notre Dame LSU Auburn Just everyone is offering this guy, especially in the SEC. So that guy, his stock is blowing up. Clearwater, Florida, 2024 interior offensive lineman, Jason Zamadella, who is from Mozambique, actually came to the U.S. in 2020. was actually a rugby player that started playing football, started playing center this past year, and he is a consensus four-star prospect, has a bunch of high-end offers, not playing football like that. Uh, long, but his upside is tremendous. He has a six foot eleven wingspan, so that that's a lot for an interior offensive lineman. And he goes to Clearwater uh, International Academy. If you recall, was the same school that uh, USC—I'm blanking on the name—Lucas Simmons. There you go, Lucas Simmons played at last year in 2023, so they have some familiarity. I'm actually talking to him, uh, Jason, right now, so I expect to have an interview up with him. Later this week, but really interesting kid, really interesting backstory. So USC getting on him. Uh, who is a national pro, national recruit in the cycle? Uh, Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania, 2024 eggs edge Malachi Williams, six foot four, can play wide receiver tight end. Uh, looks like USC is offering him as an edge prospect. We mentioned Severn, Maryland, 2024 linebacker Keyshawn Flowers. I just did an interview with him. He hopes to visit USC this spring. It is on his short list he has picked up multiple national offers USC is among that you know top list of, of, of places he does want to hit he's wants to visit does not have one uh, planned out at the moment so we'll see what happens there. Uh, Kinei Illinois 2024 offensive lineman Marquise easily six foot seven 300 pounds big big offensive tackle Atlanta, Georgia 2025 safety, Jonte Gilbert on Ohio State commit. Alf- Alpharetta, Georgia 2025 tight end, Ethan Barbour. Little Rock, Arkansas 2025 safety, Amarian Robinson. Orange Park, Florida 2025 safety, Hilton Stubbs, which is just a fun name to say. El Centro Edge, Jared Martin got an offer 2025 as well. Uh, that is one that happened a couple weeks ago. Just wanted to throw it in. Also a couple weeks ago, Nashville, Tennessee, interior offensive lineman Chauncey Gooden. And then Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, edge rusher Zaheer Mathis, also in the 2025 class. And Washington, D.C., 2025 safety Kano Winston, who was offered earlier today, actually plays at Gonzaga College Prep School. And if you you know Caleb Williams, you know he also came from Gonzaga. So a big WCAC DMV connection there with Kano Winston kano winston who has blown up with offers as well rutgers virginia tech maryland uh he is blowing up as well so a safety prospect to know gerard my only question is when was the last time usc signed someone out of arkansas
2: my question is when is the last time usc signed somebody out of mozambique
1: i know the answer it's never
2: (laughs) mozambique man that uh that's a journey rhodesia at some point and then they changed the name of it and i think it's was a Dutch colony at some point, like South Africa. Um, I didn't
1: know I was getting a history lesson. That's a, I'm going to look this up while you continue talking about it. <laughs> Southeastern Africa. And I will just say, USC has not had success recruiting international prospects over the last couple of years.
2: No, not really. And Lucas Simmons being from
1: Sweden. The closest. I feel like the closest they got. Kiro Canu from Germany, that one did not work, work out.
2: Yeah, yeah. Mozambique special. That's uh, what uh, the assassins call when you get shot twice in the chest and once in the head. It's called a Mozambique special.
1: I'm going to leave that in because I don't have anywhere to cut it from. <laughs> I well, will now well, I mean, think I'm not going to ask him, do you know what a Mozambique special is? I will not <laughs> do that. But you still have to answer my question. Last player they signed out of Arkansas.
2: And the last player they signed out of Arkansas, they did have a wide receiver. Well, they had, yeah, the last player was Broderick Green, I would think, was the last player they signed from Arkansas, the running back from Little Rock, who was uh, a good player and and played for USC a little bit and then transferred out. Really good kid. Um, Was it Josh Adams? Oh, you're right. That they had committed to USC. Uh, around that time, and he was um, recruiting Adams. And Adams commit, and then and I, I, I think his first name was Josh. I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but ended up decommitting, and I think he ended up at Arkansas or what have you. But I, I'm going to say, yeah, Roger Green, the running back, was the last player that they actually had committed and signed at USC.
1: Well, there you go. I think you're right. 2007 class. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're, you're right, right. Congrats! I don't know what prize you want, but yeah, you answer my question. Can you, you look answer. up
2: whether? It, uh, here, let me look up real quick if it was uh, Josh Adams.
1: I couldn't find a Josh Adams I mean, per a cla- se. It
2: was, a class, the, it was a class after Roger Green. Just so put you're saying Adams twenty twenty class.
1: eight. I mean, there's a Josh Adams on this. That is definitely not the Josh Adams.
2: No, he apparently was a the sport. head
1: head coach of the swim team is named Josh Adams, not Adams.
2: No, Joe Adams.
1: Joe Adams. Joe Adams. Yeah. It's Joe Adams. So you're right. You kept your. Uh, there you go. Little Rock, Arkansas. And you said he did not play for USC.
2: No, he committed to USC. Um, and it was like, oh my gosh, we've got this great pipeline to Arkansas. And it, it sort of <laughs> it dried up real quick. You know, it was like, got one player committed. Looks like a good player. Going to be the next Lindell White. And then USC was absolutely stacked already at linebacker, or excuse me, at running back. And uh, they were recruiting uh, Joe Adams in the next class. And, you know, he, he decommitted and Broderick Green ended up transferring out. So that was um, the whole Arkansas connection um, came and went in, in the matter of about a year and a half.
1: There you go. That's why Gerard is the best, because he could remember the last player they signed from Arkansas. Let's move on to stock market crystal ball stock market and gerard before this show was like what is what is that and i was like that's what we've been calling this segment he's like i have never heard of this before so i would like for you if you're listening to this please mention the comment that we have done this segment before i do not know what he is talking about maybe the cold cold garage is affecting his brain i don't know what he's going on about i don't know if this is a bit but he claims we've never done this before but we have definitely done this before so crystal we may have ball, done it
2: before. I just don't remember it being called the Crystal Ball Stock Market. I only remember unsubstantiated
1: rumors. <laughs> That's <laughs> the only thing anyone ever cares about, Gerard. That's the only, only thing name that I can remember. That is the only one anyone ever cares about. Doesn't even remember the cold open, which is the literal opening to the show. But let's start with Brian Jackson, the McKinney, Texas running back, six foot, two hundred and twenty-five pounds. Four star prospect in the 24 7 sports composite, 392 overall, number 48 athlete, number 83 athlete, and a three star prospect in the 24 7 sports rankings. He received a crystal ball from Mike Roach, who covers the Texas Longhorns over at Horns 24 7. He does a really, really good job out there. He is the guy to know out there in Texas. He put in a seven for. Uh, Brian Jackson, and he notes, you know, that this still is a recruiting battle going on, and he believes it, it'll it come down to the Longhorns and USC, but USC has been putting a lot of effort into recruiting Brian Jackson. Kyle McDonald has been putting a lot of effort in recruiting Brian Jackson, so right now he, he's going with the Trojans to land uh, Jackson in the end. As we know, McDonald can recruit out of the state of Texas, sign two Texas backs, Last year, and Quinton Joyner and Amarian Peterson, two guys who were kind of under the radar in that state and kind of blew up in their senior years, Quinton becoming an All-American uh, by the by the end of it, both early enrollees, both on campus now, so McDonald likes to recruit him hard, get him in the class early and then move on. He's got free time for the rest of the cycle, so he is looking to get Brian Jackson locked up. As we mentioned, he'll be here for the holy hour. Perhaps that is when the deal Will be done as far as a verbal commitment, but for right now, USC trending in the right direction for Brian Jackson, who is a big back at 225, and would bring something different to the roster.
2: Yeah, still listed and categorized by 24/7 Sports as an athlete. Yeah, but we project him as a running back, six foot, 235 pounds, as you said, Chris, a big running back. Now, the thing is, the Longhorns are trending for Jarrett Gibson, who's the number one rated. Running back in the nation. So, you know, this is one of those things where USC is kind of trying to get in and slip in there potentially while the Longhorns are distracted by trying to recruit Jared Gibson. And I'm sure Trojan fans are going, well, wait a second, why aren't we involved with Jared Gibson Uh, and not uh, Brian Jackson, who's a three star? USC is involved, not being talked about very much by Jared Gibson. And clearly, Texas is selling Bijan Robinson. And what they did with Bijan Robinson, even so though it wasn't, you know, entirely the Steve Sarkeesian coaching staff, um, you can't really necessarily say that that staff developed Bijan John Robinson, but they are, you know, going to sell, hey, you know, we just had um, the, the, the best running back in the draft, the guy that's got drafted the highest, and you can come and, and be that guy and, and, and follow in his footsteps to the NFL. So that's what Texas is selling. And Jared Gibson is is obviously, uh, you know, listening to that. Um, Texas is recruiting the running back position uh, really well. And USC is hoping to get guys that they can develop, guys that are not necessarily the top guys. Um, You know, Brian Jackson is not the top guy. Quentin Joyner was not, you know, the top running back. Um, Mary Peterson, you know, not necessarily the top running back, not five-star level guys, not the sort of Reggie Bushes. So it is going to be interesting to see, you know, how are they going to counter uh, the running uh, back that they go after thats a guy like Brian Jackson with, you know, where's the really brown in, in, in the class, right? So, you know, you, you get the one, but you still have to get those playmakers and those guys that can be those kind of top end players. The one player that they have on their list that has unofficially visited USC already is Taylor Tatum. And he's number three re- uh, ranked running back in the nation. 5'10", uh, 195 pounds, obviously a different style of running back than Brian Jackson. And USC, you know, clearly has some success there recruiting um, Texas. Uh, we'll see, you know, how that goes if, if, if they get involved with, uh, with Tatum and, and become a serious contender with him. At this point, I'd say that, you know, they're in contention of getting an official visit this summer, uh, but they're not necessarily a program uh, where you know there's sort of that feeling like they're you know out in the lead or anything of that nature, they're also in it for James Peoples, also out of Texas, who's you know probably the second highest-rated uh, running back that they they have a decent shot at. Uh, five uh, ten, one hundred ninety-two pounds. Um, out of San Antonio, Texas. Uh, not necessarily uh, the, the the hotbed of talent in Texas. You know, it's usually more the the, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, the Houston area. Uh, or, or maybe some of those areas, kind of just out there in the boonies in Texas. Sometimes Longview is kind of out there in the boonies. It's East Texas, and, and USC um, had some success recruiting East Texas in the past with Clay Elton for some players that you kind of scratched your head, wonder why they're out there uh, recruiting some of those guys that were three stars. But with Taylor Tatum, I mean, that's a four-star, uh, ranked the third best running back in the nation. Um, so you know, you say, okay, yeah, you can understand why they go out there to Longview to recruit Taylor Tatum. So we'll see you know, if they are able to close the deal with Brian Jackson, who we talked about. We expect him to be back out here in April for, his, uh, I think, his third un- uh, unofficial visit uh, to USC. Um, you know, are you bringing in the second running back in the class? And if you are, you're probably trying to uh, complement him with someone who's more of the really Brown, uh, a player that's uh, you know, going to be a more of an all-purpose back. Certainly speed and quickness, are going to be the attributes that you want to get out of that. With Quinton Joyner and Amir and Peterson, those guys, while they're certainly not similar in terms of their body types and their frames, and they do run differently, they're both guys that are combo backs that have some good amount of power. They are definitely guys that can move the pile. And, you know, we talked about it with Jordan Davison. Some of these players that they're looking at from the running back position, they're guys that, that can, can, can break a tackle on a third and one. And sometimes that's what you got to have. And, you know, there was a period of time where USC was creating a bunch of really small running backs and they were horrible on short down and distances, you know, third and two, they were throwing the ball every time. And, And I understand, you know, when you run an air raid, throwing the ball is just kind of sort of what you do, um, even in, in down and distances where you would think that you would run the ball, but there were some times where they were just flat out, bad at running the football whether it be blocking but I think when you had those smaller running backs in there all the time you're not going to really have a chance to get a one-on-one situation and break a tackle but with the guys they've been recruiting lately uh they have that ability they have a little more uh power in their butt and they're able hey potentially man you, you you miss a block or somebody gets free and they're able to get into that run fit you can plow forward and move that move that scrum a little bit to be able to get that third one, third, and two. Sometimes that's what it comes down to. So um, it, it's it's nice to see, uh, actually, you know, I think even if you're an old school Trojan fan, it's nice to see them recruiting some bigger running backs and some guys that can move the pile. But knowing this offense and, and knowing the ability of and Riley to get guys in space, you do sort of keep your eye out for, okay, who is that really Brown? Who is that next guy that's going to be that special player um, that you can feature out in the slot and do some different things with Granted, we've talked about this before, the receivers that USC recruited in the 2023 class with Makai Lemon and Zach Zach Branch don't sleep on those guys in the offensive backfield. You know, USC has used that as a wrinkle a bit in their offense and it's worked pretty well, whether it was Michael Jackson, the third, whether it was Jordan Addison, um, you know, some of those receivers they've been able to use on end arounds and things of that nature. Uh, You could see some of those guys maybe line up in the offensive backfield uh, right behind uh, or or right beside Caleb Williams and actually get used in the run game a bit. Those guys, uh, speaking on Lemon and Branch, have body types and physical traits that are more in line with being able to run the ball out of the backfield than even some of the guys they've used in the past. So that's going to be something interesting to watch as well.
1: And moving on to. Someone we've talked about, I believe this is the fourth straight segment we've done on him on this show. That is Deuce Robinson has gotten a crystal ball back to the Trojans. Blair Angulo, this happened a couple weeks ago, but we weren't around to talk about it. He made a flip pick from Georgia back to the Trojans. If you remember, Blair initially had USC as his crystal ball pick. Then it went to Georgia. Now it is back to USC this was a very uh, blessed day for USC fans on the peristyle, seeing the momentum is now trickling back towards the Trojans as Deuce Robinson finally comes to a conclusion of his recruitment. Still some, some, some weeks to go for his uh, spring deadline of making a decision, but USC back in front, at least with one man's crystal ball for Deuce Robinson.
2: Banglow, our friend Banglow, with a – I believe that was a confidence level of five.
1: A ball's a ball, man. <laughs> crystal ball's a crystal ball, man.
2: One man's crystal ball is another man's whatever. I don't know what to read into that too much. I did talk to Blair a little bit about that. And, you know, he felt USC's definitely been right there at the top the whole time. And, you know, we've talked about this ad nauseum, but, you know, my sources and and I think even people that you've talked to that are more in line with USC recruiting and in those USC recruiting circles and certainly any members of the 2023 recruiting class all thought from day one, Deuce Robinson was USC's to lose. And so there's been a lot of confidence from this side of the country that Deuce Robinson would sign with USC. Now, outside of that bubble, however. There's been different leaders and certainly Georgia for the longest time was talked about as a program that maybe was the program to beat going up until early signing day. And then kind of coming away from that, I started hearing more about Texas uh, being a legit contender and maybe it was more of a USC Texas battle. So, you know, at this point, I'm kind of just I haven't really changed my opinion of, of how this is going, you know, I, I, I do sort of still feel like maybe he goes elsewhere. Um, as long as there's that confidence level outside of those circles, I feel like those have had better reads on what's going on with these players and these type of situations than, you know, the sort of circle uh, that uh, you, you talk to within uh, sort of that USC community, if you will. And so, unfortunately, I'm still a little bit skeptical. <laughs> of the whole situation, and um, you know when he actually makes that evaluation and, and makes that decision, you know the the, the MLB is also there, and uh, that's um, you know going to affect things to some extent. Uh, the draft is in the summer. He wants to make that decision before that point. I, I don't quite understand that. You know, I I, I kind of would figure that uh, he would maybe wait until the point where you know he had that a little more confidence, maybe in terms of. Uh, what his his status would be? You know, we we still think that it's got to be at least a third round evaluation to get that guaranteed money to make it really difficult to want to go and play football in college. You know, once he goes MLB, then he's completely bought into that, right? He's got to commit to baseball full time until if you know that doesn't work out, and then it's like okay, go back to college, do the Drew Henson thing, and go play football. Um, so we'll see how it shakes out I I I, from my end I I, again I'm still a little skeptical feel like you know Texas and maybe even Georgia could still be there Oregon's not talked about a lot you never know with them you know they might swoop in with some deal uh with Nike or something of that nature where NIL becomes a big deal uh and, and he is a player that you know I think NIL like he's one of those few players that you really can build an NIL around and that there are legitimate companies and corporations, not just, you know, good old boy boosters that are going to throw money and say, hey, you know what? We'd like you to actually represent our brand with Oregon. I think it's less so just because track tends to be more what they want to to build Nike around. And that was a big deal with uh, Nick Harbor and obviously a big deal with Roderick Pleasant. And, and baseball is, I, I don't think, a big a deal for them uh, from that standpoint. Uh, but nevertheless uh you know that's also something that comes into play in in the NIL versus you know what you get as a as a minor league baseball player it's definitely closed the gap a little bit for college football programs with players that have those type of ambitions because you know you you're going to be paid something now you know it used to be you're not really going to be able to pay nothing anything and um you know the 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 minor leagues would would, would give you some type of salary uh, but at this point now it's you know, you're, you're, you're basically just comparing zeros and, and how many are in your contract guaranteed for, for baseball as opposed to, you know, what you might be able to get with NIL and uh, keep your foot in the door with football. Because, you know, I, I, most of the time when we see players that are looking at baseball versus football, it's, it's quarterbacks, right? And, and that's, you know, it, it's, it's got to be difficult to come back to football after taking, you know, maybe two, three years off. But man, being a, a tight end, that's a different can of worms. You know, getting away from football and the physicality of the game, you know, the, the physicality is not quite as present when you're playing the quarterback position as it is when you're playing tight end and, and you've got to put your hand around to some extent. And I know, yeah, he, he's being recruited by USC, he's a big receiver, he's 250 pounds. You know, he, he's going to be tight end, he, he's going to be a pro style tight end. He's a guy that you certainly want to utilize in line. Because he is that big body. I mean, you're going to be wasting his talent just putting him out, splitting him out wide every down. So you're going to want to put him um, in line at points and and being more of a traditional straightforward tight end and utilize him in that way. But if you get away from playing football for for two, three years, I don't know how long it's going to take to come back to the game. You know, with the the quarterback uh, that goes off and plays in pitcher or, or outfield or whatever in baseball, might not be quite so much of a of an acclimation period coming back to the game um, as a as a as a tight end,
1: Gerard. I think it's time we move on to the final segment of our show to get you out of that cold cold garage and prevent you from getting frostbite on your hands and ears. Let's move into listener questions. Only got a handful of them today, including a voicemail. And just a reminder: if you want to get a question on the podcast, you can email us at. Podcast at com. Make sure you put the composite, cilantro boys, 10k, hurricane, whatever. You can also DM me questions if you want. That is also an acceptable way to get questions on the show. Do not DM Gerard because he will not answer you. I promise you. Uh, Gerard, we're going to start with the voicemail. I haven't heard it yet. I don't know who it's from, but I guess we can figure out as we go. Are you ready? I'm ready to listen to Eddie. Okay. <laughs>
0: Hey, this is the cilantro boys. What is up, Eric Morange? Hey, quick question. Now that the Angry Giraffe uh, uh, hurt his uh, his hind leg there, um, I, I, I wanted to ask what, what Gerard thinks is gonna or I'm sorry, Gerald thinks is gonna uh, be of that nickel spot, that, that nickel hybrid spot you were talking about where it was putting um, uh, the angry giraffe at. Uh, I, I I think Ray John Davis is like the perfect guy. I remember watching him uh play seven on seven, uh playing, you know, nickel for seven on seven. You know, when he was at Modern Day, he was, you know, one of their best coverage guys for them. Um, but he was also great great on the outside, great blitzing. I mean he pretty much played um that nickel spot for Modern Day. Um uh, you know, and he was going to you know, high level competition, won a national championship. Um, at that position. So, just uh, want to see what your guys' thoughts were about shifting Rajon there, and then maybe going with uh, Cog um, and Taka uh, uh, over the middle.
2: All right, bye. I think it's six to one, half a dozen of the other. You're you're looking at him recovering and being able to be as mobile as he has been. Um, you know, if you're playing Mike linebacker, will linebacker or playing in a nickel, I don't necessarily think that uh, the injury is going to, you know, impede him from being able to play uh, that position. Because, I mean, if it is and it's probably going to impede him from playing all those positions. So, I mean, unless you are saying, hey, you know, I don't think he's going to be able to come back and be the same athletic uh, Eric Gentry that he's been. Then um, I think that that would still be an option, uh, an interesting option, maybe a bit of a a, a reach or a a gamble, you know, to put him out there. But just something that I'm trying to like, kind of get the best players on the field. And if you've got Mason Cobb there and uh, you've got Tackett Curtis, you kind of want to play both those guys as well. And I think inside they make more sense than than Eric Gentry. Uh, But to your point about Rayshon Davis, I I agree. Uh, I mean, Rayshon Davis is a guy that you know, really had safety coverage skills a lot. And he did play a lot of seven on seven with ground zero and talking with Armand Hawkins, who, who runs the show there uh, along with Anthony Brown, they always told me, you know, he's, he's a really, really good coverage guy. And, you know, he's probably going to play off the line of scrimmage in college. Uh, Cause he's not a big guy uh, lengthwise. You know, we talked about that a little bit with some of the 2025 class and, um, you know, Nasir Wyatt from, from modern day, uh, and and where he is right now, and kind of where he's got to be when he's a senior to be a guy that's at the line of scrimmage playing as a, a sort of a, a, a rush end. Um, Rashawn Davis, I, I said from day one, you got to move off the line of scrimmage because he's just not going to be able to, to to win those fights. Um, and so they put him at linebacker. And and I, was he playing mostly Mike, or or did he play Will last year in practice, Chris? You know better. He was
1: you. he was listed as a Mike backup.
2: Yeah, I, I kind of always felt more of a will because, again, mm-hmm. um, you're talking weak side and you're talking about potentially picking up the running back and, and not necessarily so much the tight end. And so um, athletically, your will tends to clean up plays more and, and you need more pursuit from the backside. And so I kind of felt like, yeah, will made sense for me, you know, when 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 that came up. But they put him at Mike. But I do think, yeah, for a nickel backer position, if you want to put a little more size on the field. Playing against some of these run spread teams that you're going to be seeing, you know, in, in Utah and UCLA and Oregon, um, you know, and not having Max Williams there or or, or a defensive back that uh, you know potentially is, is is got to take out a kickout blocker or, or a tight end or somebody, and they're just you know you're you're going to get moved out of the way. You're you're trying to dodge blocks instead of taking guys on and, and run fitting. Yeah, Rashawn Davis would be a guy that you could actually you know throw over there too. That's not a a bad idea. Um, Like I said, Eric Gentry, just because he's been, you know, as good as he has and and you want to try to find a place for him still, you know, maybe that's too situational, right? Because you are going to see teams that also do the opposite. You're going to see teams that put a slot receiver out there and you don't necessarily want to put Eric Gentry or Rashawn Davis or or anybody of that ilk on a small guy like that more – when you have to face those teams that are going to put a tight end out there um, or they're going to be running the ball a lot off the edge and you you just get a little bigger in your front seven by putting uh, uh, an actual linebacker there than the defensive back.
1: For what it's worth, I have Zion Branch as the starting nickel. Okay. Which sounds like you don't hate, so I'll take that as a win.
2: Well, Moving. that's getting bigger. you know. Uh, we just got to see where Zion comes back from the injury and – you know, etc. You know, we just haven't really seen him a lot, uh, particularly up at the line of scrimmage at that position. You know, Zion played a lot, single high for Bishop Gorman and wasn't a guy that played a lot in the box. Uh, but, you know, we've seen him get a lot bigger and a lot stronger. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if we can get some type of updated weight and height for him, you know, even. Uh, but he's a guy that, you know, is, is, I mean, we saw him last year around this time and both went, wow, he's, Kind of starting to look like a linebacker. But you know what? You 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 get that sense, you know, I think uh with a lot of players. I mean, when I saw Christian Pierce at passing down, he was uh hanging out a little bit and I looked at him and I was with Adam Gorney, a National Recruiting Analyst for Rivals.com and we used to work for Rivals. I say we, Ryan and I, Chris wasn't with us at that point. Uh, but you know, I know Adam for, for years and everything, and you know, we are chatting about things and, and Christian came up. And, um, you know, I saw Christian play several times last year, but, you know, Gornie saw him and was like, wow, okay. He looks like a dude, like, already. I mean, he looks like a, a college sophomore. And I was like, yeah, man, I, I really pounded the table for him. I thought he was a four-star level guy uh, for sure. And he's definitely filling out. You know, he's 200 pounds plus now, uh, probably getting closer to that 205, 210 range at that point. He, you know, he kind of looks more like a, a, you know, a linebacker than this sort of lanky safety type of kid. Um, but I think you sort of get that, you know, when they get into that college football weight training program and they get serious and they start to put on that weight. It's like, oh, OK, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean they're you know, going to be linebackers, but you just see all of a sudden that, that grown man weight, you know, start to kick
1: in. Next question comes from Alex Sasani, transfer reporter recruiting question. In the new NIL landscape, can USC or any school recruit four or five star transfer portal players, get them six to seven figure deals, but have them walk on. So the school can use the limited scholarships on players that won't get as much NIL money. Again, that comes from Alex Asani. That is an interesting workaround loophole for it, but you get more so as a scholarship, not you get more benefits as a scholarship player. And I don't think any player wants to dip into their NIL deals to pay for their room board books classes, all that tuition for that. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. And, uh, you know, BYU tried to have a program where all of the walk-ons were given NIL deals uh, that were basically akin to the the money that you would get from a scholarship, and the NCAA stepped in and said, no, you can't do that. So I don't know rules-wise where – that stands with, with, with things, you know, like you could actually bring in like a high level guy uh, and um, give him scholarship benefits, but just in cash, <laughs> you know, basically like, Hey, you know, well, you'll be, you'll, your room and board will be better than if you're in scholarship because, you know, you're not, you're not going to be uh, with the, uh, you know, on campus or anything like that. We can get you a nice little Gucci apartment downtown and um, you know, you, you'll you'll have enough money for for a car and this that and the other, uh, but you're not going to actually have a scholarship, and you're going to have to pay the way in school. The the one thing that's a big detriment to USC is the fact that costs so much GD money to go to that school. What are they charging? Like fifty eight thousand dollars a semester or something to go to USC these days? I mean, it was like people were complaining about COVID. And everything going on and there's a recession and USC is like, OK, uh, so the, the tuition has gone up 5 percent uh, this next year. And everybody's like, what? Are you a little tone deaf here? I mean, everybody's struggling financially and you guys keep raising your tuition rate. So that's that's a little bit of a problem. You know, you, you get an NIL deal and then you got to look at how much money. You're actually paying for classes. At USC. This ain't you miss, man. You ain't paying twelve hundred dollars a semester to go to school. So that <laughs> that has to be taken into account. You might have a nice NIL deal and then you realize you owe money to the school still.
1: Next question is a two-parter. As always from D from the Central Valley. Two questions as always. Number one, question, question number one. Question for CT last year. You were the only one that was confident about SC getting Tackett Curtis. I know the it's early.
2: One. The only <laughs> one on this earth.
1: I know it's early, but do you have another Tackett Curtis prediction for this year? It is quite early, D, but I have Ooh. been very, I have been very uh, confident. I wouldn't say this is the same confidence as Tackett Curtis.
2: Julian Lewis, say it, say it great. No, I'm not Make saying that Julian prediction Lewis. prediction three years in
1: advance. I've said uh, uh, DeAndre Carter. I mean, I'm assuming he's referring to the 2024 class, but I've been pretty confident that DeAndre Carter would end up as a Trojan. So I know I've said that one in the past. I'm beginning to move that way with Andrew Sprague. So we'll see what happens there. But right now, those would be the two. But they're not at uh, Tackett Curtis level for me, at least right now. I mean, it's still early. And then question number two, is there a running back offer out there that you guys feel that SC has a better than 50% shot of getting? I would assume that is outside of Brian Jackson, who we talked about.
2: <laughs> now we have to, we have to, we have to shelf Brian Jackson because we already talked about that. And well, that's the easiest running back prospect that we feel good about. No, I think we go with Brian Jackson, right? <laughs> Isn't that we just have to like now create? We don't even know. I mean, I assume usc's going to take two running backs again in this class, but we also mm-hmm. have to look at the scholarship uh, the distribution. Um, List And, and, you know, where they are, because they've got two freshmen. Right. Um, We're going to see what happens with Don Barlow. Um, You know, he technically would probably be moving out of the program. But, um, you know, he's still on the roster and he's a I believe what a junior would be a senior next season. Um, You have. uh, I believe he's a
1: redshirt junior this year.
2: Redshirt junior this year. Right. So he he would have uh, next year to be a senior. And um, and you bring in Marshawn Lloyd, uh, and and he probably won and done, you know. But we thought that about Austin Jones, and Austin Jones came back. So yeah, I mean it, it's it, it's possible. I don't know if I would go so far to say probable right now that they're going to take two running backs. But um, I mean to answer your question, yeah, man, let's 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 use the low hanging fruit that sits in front of us and say uh, Brian Jackson.
1: And the final question comes from Scott in Lake Arrowhead. This is actually an interesting one. Question for both of you. Do you have any stories about any recruits that said that that said that said something you wrote or said on a podcast affected their recruitment, either positive or negative? Recruit or recruits parents. And that's from Scott from Lake Arrowhead. Gerard, no. you've obviously been doing this longer. Did you say no? No. no. <laughs> I actually... No. I actually have a story that I guess kind of is related to this. I put – I'm not going to name the recruit. I'm not going to name the cycle. I'm not even going to name the school, but I put in a crystal ball for a player. I don't know if Gerard remembers this, but I put in a crystal ball for a player to end up at a Pac-12 school, and I did this at night. And the next morning, I woke up to tweets from this player like calling me out on Twitter because I guess they didn't understand what the concept of a crystal ball was and they thought I was just putting that they were committed to this school mm. and they got mad about it that I was you know messing up the recruitment even though this player ended up going uh, committing to that school I was right but they made a public uh, uh, they basically called me out on social media it was very, very weird and it's been a running joke for some of my reporter friends uh, because <laughs> they cover this player for for their respective uh, coverage so it's always been a running joke for them
2: considering that it's not a running joke between us I now know that we're not friends
1: well you probably don't even remember the player
2: I think I do I vaguely kind of sort of remember this but you know Twitter to me is like okay whatever. can
1: you say the, the the letter of their the first letter of their name
2: of, of first or last? Uh,
1: first, first name, no, just the first name.
2: Uh, wasn't C? It was not C. No, it wasn't C. Okay, all right. I'm thinking of that's it was... my name. No, I know, and that, and the. <laughs> I was thinking it was Chris Steele for some reason. No, I thought it's he not. Made a cre- prediction about Chris Steele, and he posted something about not believing everything you hear or whatever, and took it the wrong way. But
1: I guess not. I, I do you're, remember... probably, you're probably referring to the thing about his his commitment video being spoiled before. That was by someone who also shares my first name, but not me.
2: No, I do remember that. That was different, and that was entirely different. Holy cow! There's a story <laughs> about that <laughs> that goes back. Even with USC, and USC was not happy about that either. And somebody got an earful of that, and I got a lot of a lot of uh, background to that whole situation, which was just unpleasant and un- unfortunate. Uh, but uh, I do I do vaguely kind of remember this. But no, for for my own experiences. No, and I do my best to not become a part of the process. It's always we are here to report on the process, not become a part of the process. So I make it very clear to all the kids that I talk to and the parents and what have you that I am here just to simply share what their experiences are uh, with mainly USC Trojan fans, because that is obviously the team that I cover from a recruiting standpoint and try to be fair, and try to convey their feelings, and their thoughts on schools, and the process as accurately as possible, Um, but I would never want to ever get involved to the point where I influenced someone's decision, because I I mean, you know, I've always thought of it this way, you know, if I, um, I remember I had this conversation with uh, Alan Bradford's dad, Alan Bradford, who uh, was recruited out of Colton five-star. He was a linebacker, ended up playing running back at USC, kind of got dipped over a little bit by the coaching staffs, uh, I think uh, at USC, I think he was one of the better players that they have and they didn't use him uh, quite uh, right. But nevertheless, I digress, uh, you know, he and his dad got along famously. His dad was incredibly uh, transparent, very candid type of person and funny as hell. One of the funniest people, one of the funniest parents I've ever talked to and had, absolutely zero ego when it came to his, his, his kid, which, you know, that's not true. Even, you know, so many, so many parents say that, but it's not really true. You know, that one minute they're saying that the next minute they're talking about the rankings and uh, how such and such is ranked ahead the of their son. But, you know, uh, Keith Bradford just didn't care and um, was very genuinely looking at the process and everything. And, and, and we were talking and he goes, you know, you never really talk like you want Alan to go to USC. I said, well, dude, I hope I don't talk that way. Why would I ever want to? I would never want to uh, do anything that, you know, felt like I was leading him to USC because he could go to USC, blow his ACL, and he would blame that on me. You know, if he didn't go to USC and they didn't do this and they didn't put him at running back, he wouldn't have blown his knee and he would have gone to the NFL. And then how would I feel about that? I would be disgusted with myself that I talked mm-hmm. some kid into going to USC. And and then his career was 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 completely boggled. No, you make that decision on your own. You got to go to that school for four years. You don't put that down. on me. <laughs> don't put that on me. And so yeah, I, I've always tried to be very upfront with that. I, I don't care. Go wherever uh, the best fit is for you, where you're the most comfortable. And you know, get off the message boards, Don't read them. Uh, these are fans, and at the end of the day, want what's best for them and their football team, and not necessary for you and your son, unless that is congruent, right? You know, I mean, sometimes the uh, planets align and what have you, but uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, people are, are kind of making comments selfishly uh, when it comes to that on message boards. And so stay off of them is always my advice. And uh, I, I hope that, you know, from that standpoint, there's not a lot of uh, sway or influence when it comes to social media message boards, uh, where kids decide to go, you know, you, you hope <laughs> It doesn't have a lot of sway, you know. When you see things, but we do have to delete threads and and what have you. I mean, um,
1: you're telling me they don't make decisions based off who follows them the most on Instagram? Oh, yeah,
2: that kind of nonsense. You know that that there's a lot of that stuff that you you see it and it looks one way. and You just hope it's not that way. You hope that's just face value, and um, you know those decisions are not really being made around those type of things.
1: And with that, we end on some hurricane wisdom. that is going to wrap up our show Gerard it's time for you to go inside get some hot coffee make some hot cocoa whatever you desire I don't know if there's hail in your neck of the woods like I said I had to drive through hail to get here but I need you to get warm because we have some seven on seven to cover this weekend we have a war room to produce for tomorrow lots going on and we will have a much more jam-packed show in the coming weeks as USC's opens the doors for visitors to come on campus and seven on seven events and spring football. Yeah.
2: It's going to be an interesting spring. I'm going to see a lot of unofficial visits and those visits are going to be those traction visits. And then it's going to be followed up with, um, you know, hopefully USC being able to close in on some players and us having a better idea of whether the 2024 class is going to be um, a foundational class, uh, you know, kind of what the 23 class was Somewhat, but maybe not to the extent that we thought at this time last year. Uh, Maybe the 2024 class you see uh, being uh, maybe more of a marquee class for the Trojans uh, as we come out of
1: July and August. Okay, well, I'm Chris. That is Gerard. You've been listening to Composite Two-Star Recruits, and we will catch you next time.
3: Yeah, sucks! Okay, picture this.